Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 18th, 2023, including the EU has approved Microsoft's acquisition of Activision, Ubisoft has some exciting updates regarding Assassin's Creed and X-Defiant, Halo lore looks to be continuing on as the game franchise hangs in limbo, and more. Happy birthday, Abby. This day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, Red Dead Redemption was released for the Xbox 360. That was 13 years ago. One of the great games of all time. I can confidently say, 13 years later, if you have not played the original Red Dead Redemption, and especially its sequel, Red Dead Redemption 2, but you gotta play both. So you got, yeah, if you haven't played these two games, you have to, it's not one or the other, you have to play both. If you haven't played the Red Dead Redemption games, then you are, you are cheating yourself of Quite quite possibly the greatest narrative experience in gaming. I know people say, the la- listen, I played The Last of Us 1 and 2. Last of Us is great, especially the first one. It's a really great narrative. It's a really great experience. I don't know, man. I don't think it gets better than Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, especially because not only is 2 just like every, like just really, really good. It's like everything that was so great about the first one, but in a new all new story that's just even more refined and better at the storytelling and better at the immersion. But the payoff of the second one also takes a game that, you know, at the time, I guess when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, the first game was like eight or nine years old. It takes that game and retroactively makes it pay off even more a decade after you've played it. It's, it's, these games are, I I don't know, no game's perfect, you know, they say. And definitely gameplay-wise, these games are not perfect, but, oh man, in terms of just the overall experience of playing Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, I don't, I don't know that there's a better game narratively. I just it's it's probably the best experience or like story experience there is to be had in all of video game history. Dude, not I you know not I think I think Red Dead that was a little overrated. I get why it's fun. It's definitely a good game, but oof, Rockstar, they really are the, they they really prove their worth when it comes to these Red Dead Redemption games. They're they're just so so damn good. So happy thirteenth birthday, Red Dead Redemption. And if you haven't played it, I mean you fucking idiot. That's all there is to it. All right. Notable game releases. Guys, welcome to Xbox On, episode 207. Let's talk about some notable game releases coming out this week. There's only one of real note to go over, and that's LEGO 2K Drive. It comes out this Friday, the 19th, on Xbox One, Series S and X, and PC. This game looks freaking awesome. Uh, 2K, it's LEGO. It's You can just transform into any kind of automobile. It's crazy stuff. There's the hamburger bun. Mobile. It's, it looks like a really fun game. Uh, this is one I definitely have my eye on. Uh, I'm in a position where I cannot add any more games into my life currently, but I definitely have my eyes on this, and I will definitely be getting to it at some point. But if anyone out there is playing this this week, let me know what you think. It looks good. I haven't seen any reviews for it yet, but I assume I assume it's going to be a, a grand old time. I'd be shocked if it were anything less than pretty damn fun. But, yeah, I'm excited to kind of see what the reaction to this game is. LEGO 2K Drive out this Friday. Maybe you should try it. I don't know. Uh, for Activision updates this week, guys, we're going to skip that 
because our Activision updates end up in the main news this week, and you probably already know why, but we'll get to that when we get to that. So that would bring us to our corrections. These two things aren't really corrections. They're just kinds of like, I don't know, kind of, there's no real place to put these. I guess they're technically mildly amusing stories, but that's the next segment. I wanted to put these two things kind of in their own box. Two things. First of all, guys, pull out a 40, take the, take, take the cap off and put that shit face down. Let that, let that spill out and hit the dirt, hit the pavement, whatever it is, and uh, pour one out for you, boy, Crossfire X. Cronky writes in and says, rest in peace, uh, Crossfire X. You burn too brightly for this world or for console kids. Yeah, dude, rip Crossfire X. For those who don't know, Thursday, the day this podcast is going live, developer and publisher Smilegate are officially shutting down, delisting, erasing from the plane of existence Crossfire X, the Crossfire Xbox exclusive Game Pass title that came out last February, I want to say, and was just met with absolute abysmal reception people hated the game uh it's janky doesn't control right game plays like shit looks like shit the the campaign sucks some of the criticism of this game is absolutely warranted the controls and the feel of the game were a little bit janky you tell this is very much a uh a pc-centric developer trying to put something on console and it was really weird like the the campaign was made by remedy so the 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 campaign felt kind of different it was a different engine they used the, the remedy northlight engine and then the actual game, the multiplayer component, everything used a different engine. It just it did feel like a little bit of a hodgepodge, but I gotta be honest, as someone who grew up loving Crossfire on PC as a kid, this game actually did it for me. It was actually one of my favorite games last year. It's super jank, super rough around the edges, but I just found something kind of charming about it. It was that I don't know. It, it's that Counter Strike experience for console that Xbox really doesn't have. You know, Call of Duty. I'm not going to sit here and say Search and Destroy on Call of Duty is like Counter Strike for Xbox because it's not. But it is probably the closest thing we have. Crossfire X really was that kind of Counter Strike experience for the Xbox console. And now, without it, we really won't have anything like it. I think that's a lot of what went wrong with this game. Is yes, it was a little rough around the edges, but the bigger problem I think is just that. The audience that it was released for, the Xbox exclusive audience, just really didn't know what to do with this more PC-centric type game. People were like, oh, there aren't enough maps. I'm like, that's not really how you play a game like this. You kind of like master the few maps that are on it, and you get really like MLG skilled at it, and it's about like skill and gunplay more than it is about like party items and map variety. It's not, again, it's not Call of Duty, not to say anything bad. I I love Call of Duty. It's just... I feel like people really misunderstood what Crossfire X was. So it was half the game was a little underbaked and a little rough around the edges. And then it was also half like, I just don't think th- this market really understood what this game was. Maybe it wasn't marketed properly. I don't know. But I, I personally really enjoyed Crossfire X. I thought the multiplayer was a really damn good time. I especially loved the campaigns. Cronky uh, put it best. We both played through them again this week just to kind of say goodbye to Crossfire before it went away forever. And uh, replaying them, I, I recorded some footage on my capture card just to kind of, you know, for posterity, just to kind of preserve since it's so stupid that they're actually delisting the single player and the multiplayer. You don't, you could just, you could just let the single player stay up. You don't have to take that down too, but I guess they decided to take down the two campaigns. This game had two two-hour campaigns. Uh, The first one developed by Remedy Entertainment, the guys behind Quantum Break and Alan Wake and Control, literally feels like a a control game, but it's also like Call of Duty. It's it's campaign. It's a brief two-hour fun little romp of an action movie. And then the second campaign that was developed more by Smilegate, the Crossfire developer, uh, felt like basically a glorified G.I. Joe 
two-hour plot, and it was fucking badass. Both of these campaigns were awesome. I really loved them a whole bunch, and I'm sad to see Crossfire X go. This is a game I'll definitely, I definitely planned on coming back to time and time again, and I, I have throughout the past year plus. It was, it's been out. I've, I have come back every now and then. I'll come back, play a couple matches. I've replayed the campaigns. I, I like Crossfire X. I'm, I'm genuinely sad that we're losing it. So, rip to Crossfire X. I know most people hate you. I know most people won't give a shit about you, or most people probably don't remember you. But, just thought I'd. Pay some respect to you because I loved you, and uh, I'm, I'm going to miss you. So shout out to Crossfire. Um, the other thing I want to mention, I don't know why I felt compelled to bring this up because it is an Xbox podcast, but I did want to just say I've, I've been reflecting on my demeanor, the way I present myself, the way I talk about things on this podcast, and I don't like the way I come across and the person I am when Nintendo comes into the conversation. It's an ugly side of me that I'm not, I'm not proud of. And I, I don't like it. It doesn't represent who I want to be. And so I don't think I should continue to present myself that way, guys. I, I shit on Nintendo. I shit on the, the blind favoritism they absolutely no doubt do receive from fans and critics. I shit on the fact that their console is an absolute potato and a lot of things. But the, the truth of the matter is, I, like many of you out there, grew up on Nintendo I grew up with, you know, suckling at the teat of Nintendo from the time I was a little kid to, honestly, from the time I was like four years old until, until honestly, around the time the Switch came out, um, I, I just kind of fell out of love with Nintendo. There's just something that clicked with me where I was like, I'm kind of over this. <laughs> and I am mostly these days kind of at a Nintendo. I, I do I do still own my Switch. I do tend to buy a game every now and then. Splatoon 3 last year was pretty good. Um, I like Nintendo, but I just have such a love-hate relationship, and I realize I come across as like a, a jaded, aggressive, killjoy, hipster trash bag when I just, you know, get on my little soapbox about Nintendo. So I'm going to just try to be more positive or neutral towards Nintendo. No need to be that guy. I can like Xbox, you know, like we talk about PlayStation all the time on this podcast. I hold PlayStation accountable for the shit they absolutely do wrong, no doubt. But I, I think I talk pretty favorably about PlayStation. I usually defend them. You know, I never want to come across as one of those X-bots that hates PlayStation because I'm on the green team. And I was wondering, you know, why can't I just have that demeanor with Nintendo? Nintendo does certain things very, very well that other brands don't do. And they do some things worse than other brands do. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. I just want to be a little more respectful to Nintendo. Respectful to all of you out there that love Nintendo. And just uh, maybe just stop being so negative. Now, that being said... I probably won't succeed in my efforts to do this because, if you'll remember, about 130 episodes ago, I'm pretty sure I was like, guys, I don't want to curse as heavy as I do on this podcast. I want my cursing to be subtle and few and far between. So when I do curse, it means something because no one likes a sailor mouth just for the sake of a sailor mouth. It's a a sign of being uneducated and being bad with your vocab. And, uh, well, that didn't turn out well because I'm still, you know, every week I'm just like, motherfucking, fucking, fucking Xbox. So... I'll probably fail on this, but I do want to just put it out there that I'm going to try, at least for now, to be a little better to Nintendo and the Nintendo people out there. I'll even say, let me start with something positive. While I have no interest in playing the new Zelda game because I played Breath of the Wild, I spent 50 hours with it, it's fine. I think it's a little overrated. It wasn't for me, but I do think it is a creative, inventive, and pretty impressive game considering the hardware it's on. I don't plan on playing the new Zelda game, but I will say, just seeing kind of some of the feedback and the things it gets right... And the way that it is a little more traditional dungeon focused than the last entry was, I gotta say, the game looks a lot better and seems a lot more promising than I initially gave it credit for. Maybe one day I'll even come around and give it a try. I don't know. Shout out to Tears of the Kingdom. Shout out to Nintendo. You rock. Thank you for my childhood. Now back to Xbox.
mildly amusing stories. If you're still here for the Xbox news, you guys, this is where we start to really get into the podcast. We talk about some stories at the top. We might not have too much to say about them, but they're worth mentioning at the top. It's some, some interesting developments in the Xbox world, starting with the Asus Ally, the ROG Ally. Now, I heard Phil Spencer call this the ROG Ally. I'm not saying he said it wrong. In fact, when he said ROG Ally instead of ROG Ally, I was taken aback because I was like, huh, have I ever heard someone pronounce this company's name before or this brand name before? Is it is it ROG? I always call it ROG, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. If it is ROG, I'm still going to call it ROG. I know it stands for Republic of Gaming. I, I do know that much, but I, I did not know that people called it ROG instead of ROG. So side note, I'm going to keep calling it ROG because it just it sounds less cringe, but maybe Phil Spencer taught me something last week. All right, but we got an update on it. VGC, the only news source I'm aware of, says... Asus has confirmed the pricing and release date of the Steam Deck rival, the ROG Ally. The launch date is June 13th, very shortly here, and it will be priced at $700 US, or 700 euro for those who don't speak dollars. Uh, this is more expensive than the highest tier Steam Deck with a cost of 649 US for the Steam Deck, uh, but promises to be more powerful than what Valve offers. Originally announced on April 1st, the ROG Ally will run a Windows 11 and come with an AMD Ryzen Z1 Extreme 8 core processor, 16 gigs of LPDDR5 RAM, and 512 gigs of SSD storage. The handheld also features a 7-inch touchscreen, which will also offer sorry, a 1080p resolution at 120Hz compared to Steam Deck's 1280x800 resolution and 60Hz display. It also uh, boasts a GPU powered by newly released AMD RDNA 3 architecture, allowing up to 8.6, oh, here's the Xbox word, teraflops of performance compared to the Steam Deck's 1.6 teraflops. As reported by Rock Paper Sh- uh, Shotgun, a lower spec version is also in the works, featuring a Ryzen Z1 processor, which will release around Q3 of 2023 for about 600 bucks. So, people looking to save maybe, uh, maybe you know, maybe a hundred dollars can uh, look forward to that that model. As uh, earlier, sorry, earlier reviews of the hardware show that the handheld does appear to be noticeably more powerful than Steam Deck, but also takes a noticeable hit in its battery life as a result. The Verge said that. In their tests, it was uh, able to hit high frame rates of 39 FPS on Cyberpunk 2077 uh, on the Steam Deck, and that its standard performance on the ROG Ally was at 48 frames per second instead. However, it does go on to note that the Ally also has a turbo mode in which it boosts up to 65 frames per second on this little device, making it perform significantly better than the Steam Deck when in that mode. But of course, consequently, that absolutely destroys the battery life. I think by default, the battery life is somewhere around the three and a half hour range. Uh, and then the turbo mode can put it down to like about an hour or less of battery life. But, you know, for a high-powered PC portable thing, I, I, I don't think three hours is all that bad, to be honest. But what do I know? Um, I know people are really excited about this, so I just kind of want to put that out there. I, I think this device looks awesome. If I had 700 bucks burning a hole through my, my, through my pocket right now and I didn't have some other financial obligations that are just a little more, you know, grabbing my attention right now. Um, this is something I'd be seriously, gra- uh, you know, grappling with whether or not I want to pick one of these up. Cause honestly, the fact that it runs windows, very compelling. Uh, the fact that it's super, super powerful, very compelling. The fact that it has off access analog sticks, like an Xbox controller, very competitive. I do want a really powerful portable that can play my Xbox games, but I don't know that I need one because the fact of the matter is I mostly prefer to play games at home 
And when I play at home, I like sitting in, on the couch in front of a big old TV with an Xbox controller in my hand. So there's something to like romanticize about like, oh, a portable that I can play gaming in. I could, you know, the, the one time every other year where I go on a flight for two hours, I could bring my ROG ally with me or I could just cozy up in bed and play this thing. It's like, listen, if I, if I lay in bed and try to play a gaming handheld, you know what's going to happen at my age? I'm going to get neck pain. Okay, I'm not I'm not 12 years old anymore. I can't just lay in bed for three hours playing my Game Boy Advance SP. I'm gonna get neck pain if I sit in bed and play the ROG Ally. So I'm not I'm not entertaining that idea any further because I know at the end of the day, as attractive as this device is, I don't got no friends. I'm not going over to a friend's house to bring my my portable computer. Okay, you know I'm not I'm not some fucking European parading around a public transit based city where I can just you know commute to and from work with a with an ROG ally in hand to help burn the time. You know I'm an American. I sit in traffic just like everybody else. I do my I I I, I do my part. You know, so I, there's just no real use case for a device like this. As much as I like it, as much as I think the tech is super cool, I'd love to just have my hands on one and play with it. I just can't justify it because I know at the end of the day, I'm so strapped for free time as it is. When I play a game, it's almost exclusively going to be when I am sitting down in front of a big TV on my couch on my Xbox. So I wish I had an excuse to buy this thing because it's really compelling. I'm just I'm, I'm going to sit it out. But again, like like 2K Lego racers, let me know if this is something you're going to pick up because I think people are going to be in love with this device. I think. They, they went for power above all else, and I think there's something kind of commendable about that, especially because I'm sure they have the research in, in the data to kind of show that people are not really using these things for extended periods of time. These are mostly probably used as glorified, like, stay in bed, I'm depressed kind of on, you know, those kinds of days. Like, that, it's that it's the device for that kind of person more than anything. So I feel like they got the data to show that the, the battery life is actually not as important. It's important for marketing, but in terms of how people actually use the device, I think the battery life is probably not as big an issue as people try and make it out to be but i don't know maybe that's just my bad interpretation but that's the rog ally coming up very soon about a month so be excited to see how people kind of receive that as it as it hits shelves guys let's talk about mortal Kombat. so last week i didn't say anything about this last week but let's bring it up now so a little bit of windows central a little bit of vgc we got some reporting here vgc says wb games have uh, announced that they will reveal the next entry in the Mortal Kombat series on Thursday. So the day this podcast goes live, you probably already know. It's probably already been announced by the time you're hearing this, but nonetheless, for posterity's sake, I guess, just to say we covered all our bases. The uh, announcement says, quote, Tomorrow's a new dawn, the official Mortal Kombat t- uh, Twitter said. It is time. May 18th, 6 a.m. Pacific time, so 9 a.m. tomorrow, we are getting a, uh, a, a reveal. So... Yeah, the debut trailer will be hitting. And then Windows Central did some reporting last week on the matter, saying that, you know, they confirmed through their sources that the the um, Mortal Kombat in development by NetherRealm Studios and published by WB Games that is going to be revealed tomorrow will be called Mortal Kombat 1, like the number one. Uh, it is scheduled to be released on Series X, S, and PC, according to sources from Windows Central, Bill Bill Kun, Kun? I don't know if that's a Japanese thing. Uh, and suggests that the game will be revealed, or well, you already know it's been revealed, so that's old. The Twitter post, the Twitter post with the information also revealed some of the following information: that the standard edition of the game is probably going to cost seventy dollars on Xbox Series S and X. The premium edition will be available for one hundred and ten U.S. dollars, and the collector's edition, spelled with a K, will cost two hundred and fifty bucks for Xbox Series X and S. Probably comes with a crazy statue and uh, a certificate of authenticity. Sources at Windows Central suggest that the game is targeting September 23 launch window, although we'll probably know by the time this game comes out, so there's no point really um, 
speculating on that. However, I don't know. I'm again, I'm not a big fighter fan. I tried to be a little open minded and play. Uh, man, what what's the fucking game I played? Guilty Gear Strive on Game Pass a couple weeks back. I really enjoyed it. it was, I was surprised how much I really enjoyed that game. And I'm just trying to be more open-minded in general to the fighting game genre. I've always wanted to get into Street Fighter, but for some reason, the aesthetic and art of Street Fighter just doesn't do it for me. I do admire Street Fighter 2, of course, classic arcade and SNES game, and the, the pixel art, it's so beautiful. I do think it's a attractive-looking pixel art game, but I don't know, the art of... The world and the aesthetic of, of, of Street Fighter doesn't, like, really do it for me, so I've never really been compelled. The thing about Guilty Gear or, like, Blaze Blue is, like, that anime style looks really cool in a fighter. Like, Marvel vs. Capcom, I love that. That's really appealing to me. Something about Mortal Kombat has a little bit of, like, an M-rated G.I. Joe energy for, to me for some reason, where it's just like, yeah, this is, like, where, you know, you, you're 10 years old and you like G.I. Joe, and then you graduate to Mortal Kombat as you hit high school. There's something about it where, obviously, it's very gruesome and over-the-top and gory and bloody and violent, but, um, I don't know, it just has that kind of, like, ridiculous... 80s 90s thing it's just like here's a bunch of like obscure ridiculous characters and some of them are monsters and some of them are people and they all do ridiculous shit and there's just i don't know there's just something about the tone aesthetic of of mortal kombat i'm like this just kind of works might i might i say though and just suggest i don't i don't know if this is already a thing but they need the music from the modern doom games doom 2016 and doom eternal they need that kind of music just fucking blasting in your face as you play Mortal Kombat. I feel like that'd be something that could really turn up Mortal Kombat, like amp it up to the you know to eleven. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to keep an open mind. I feel like maybe Mortal Kombat is a series I could get more and more into. I definitely played a little bit of it. We had it back on the Genesis actually in um, in the early probably like 2000. I don't know why. In 2003 or four, I was playing Mortal Kombat on Sega Genesis. I don't know. How that ended up being the case, but that was my exposure to Mortal Kombat um, growing up. And uh, I don't know. There's something about it that's a little bit nostalgic. I kind of like those old Mortal Kombat movies from back in the day. And I kind of like the more recent one that came out. I thought that was pretty entertaining as well. There's just something about this franchise where I feel like it might be a good gateway into the Mortal Kombat. You know, I'm just trying to expand my fighting game knowledge and expo exposure. When, when I was a kid, the only game I needed that was even remotely like this was Smash Brothers, which is more of a party fighting kind of game all into its own. But uh, now that I'm really just kind of, I feel like I've gotten my fill for life on Smash Bros. Now I'm a little more like, all right, I'm going to shift my focus on trying to maybe get into a Mortal Kombat or a Guilty Gear or something a little more. So let me keep my eyes on this. Mortal Kombat 1, a little weird that they're calling it Mortal Kombat 1. I don't know. Some of the rumors suggest they're basically resetting the timeline and the story, so we'll have to wait and see if that's what's going to happen. All right, next up, let's talk about Amazon announcing a new Lord of the Rings MMORPG for PC and console. Amazon Games will develop and publish a massively multiplayer online game based on Lord of the Rings. The PC and console title will be a, an open-world MMO adventure in a persistent world set in Middle-earth featuring beloved stories of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings trilogy. According to Monday's announcement, it is in the early stages of production and is developed by Amazon Games Orange County, the studio behind the open world MMO New World, which is released with some uh, some some positive response. What was it, a year or two ago? Company's first success after many failures and setbacks in gaming, according to Jeff Bezos, the mag daddy of Amazon. Quote, bringing players a fresh take on the Lord of the Rings has been a long and aspira long an aspiration for our team. 
We are honored and grateful that Middle Earth Enterprises is entrusting us with this iconic world, said Amazon Games VP Christopher Hartman. We're also pleased to be expanding our relationship with Embracer Group following our Tomb Raider deal announced last year as they've proven to be an excellent collaborator. Embracer acquired Middle Earth Enterprises last year, giving it the worldwide rights to motion pictures, video games, board games, merchandising, theme parks, stage productions relating to Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. So, yeah, you might remember that last year. Embracer straight up bought, like, basically... the Tolkien estate of IP, which is just kind of honestly sad because that stuff is a part of like, I don't know. That's like literary history. It really shouldn't be in the hands of some video game publisher, but whatever. Um, and then also remember Embracer now owns, uh, crystal, crystal dynamics and, um, the Tomb Raider IP, which they are then kind of like subletting to, uh, Amazon. And then Amazon is making the Lord of the Rings, Amazon TV show. So there's kind of a little bit of this consistent synergy here between Amazon and their video game initiatives and trying to get things off the ground and work with uh, various Embracer owned IP and they were already working with Lord of the Rings and so maybe it's just coincidence that they were doing Tomb Raider and then the Lord of the Rings made sense to me because they're already working on an Amazon Lord of the Rings TV show but it seems like this is the second time where Amazon has now gone to Embracer and be like hey well we will make a game using one of your popular IP, which again, you know, that's cool. We're getting an MMO for Lord of the Rings, whatever. We'll see it when we see it, right? But the bigger thing here for me is like, okay, Embracer. So that is yet another very powerful, very strong, one of the strongest, if not top three, you know, top three strongest IP you have, Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings. And uh, you're letting Amazon make the game? Embracer, you have like 4.6 trillion game developers. Why aren't you guys making... Uh, you know, a Middle Earth MMORPG. It's just so, such a curious use of resources that they buy all these developers, all these sub-publisher arms and labels and shit, and then they just uh, kind of pimp out these licenses to non-owned publishers like Amazon. And it makes you wonder, like, I don't know, do you need Amazon money to help keep the ship afloat because you guys are in over your heads? Like, what's the deal? Like, how is this beneficial for Amazon to be the ones to make the money and you just own the IP and get the licensing fee. I don't, I just don't see how that business, like, I don't know, man. It's like, imagine if Xbox is like, oh, we bought, we bought, um, we bought Activision Blizzard, but we're actually going to license out Call of Duty to EA and EA is going to make some Call of Duty games. They're going to pay us for the IP, you know, for the, for the franchise rights, but you know, they're going to make the game and sell the game and make the money off the game. It's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, that's just, that's just not how you run a business. You know, you bought Lord of the Rings. You should use Lord of the Rings and make some money off of it. So you, you bought Lord of the Rings and you own a boatload of video game developers. So, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so red flag for Embracer number two. First with the Tomb Raider deal and now with the Middle Earth, Enterprise, uh, Middle Earth Enterprises uh, deal. So twice. Twice you've red flagged us. Both times with Amazon. Jeffy B is probably really lining your pockets. Speaking of which, lining the pockets, Activision CEO reportedly thinks that Guitar Hero could be improved or brought back using AI. According to VGC, Bobby Kodak, CEO of Activision, has reportedly said that the growing presence of AI could lead to a new Guitar Hero game, which he uh, which makes use of it. Kotaku reports that Kodak was asked during a company-wide meeting last week on the role he thinks AI could play in video games, to which he says, I don't know how much people realize a lot of modern-day AI, including GPT, started with the idea of beating a game, whether it was Warcraft, Dota, Starcraft, Chess, Go, or whatever. But it is now. But what it is now is these large language learning model AI technologies all started from the idea of beating a game. 
And I think that one of the things I've experienced over the uh, last year is that same feeling when I saw the first Macintosh about how meaningful and impact an AI would be on society, both positive and negative. But for what, uh, for what, what we do, I think we have a profound positive impact on the things that we'll be able to do in game development for our players. It will enable us to do things that we haven't been able to do in a long time. So he goes on to cite Guitar Hero as a possible example of how that technology can be used. He said, quote, if you take an example like Guitar Hero, I think I've always had a version uh, for what a new Guitar Hero, a vision for what a new Guitar Hero product could be. But without having AI, I think the process embedded either in phones, computers, or gaming consoles, uh, that allows you to actually uh, have the speed and processing to enable that AI. We've never been to a place where AI is going to have uh, a practically, practical reality and applicability for games until now. And I think that we're going to look out over the next five to seven years, the impact of the gaming market is going to be extraordinary. So uh, he doesn't really speci specify why, but I'm wondering if they're just talking, if he's basically just talking about like an AI model where you could just basically teach it about like, this is the behavior of a guitar, this uh, track, this is the behavior of like a drums track. And then you like feed a song through a player and then the AI can spit out and be like, based on the song, we think this would be a compelling guitar track for you to play. And it would basically be able to, you insert a song and then it would be able to just basically spit out um, some new content for you to play in Guitar Hero, which I, I agree that is probably a really easy way. Like a, like one of the first ways we could see EA really EA AI really be pumped into a game in a major way like this. But at the same time, I feel like that's just a little bit, I don't know. Guitar Hero's problem as it waned in popularity was it just felt kind of like mass produce and shoot in at the end. Whereas, like, the first few Guitar Hero games, Guitar Hero 2, 3, 4, those games really felt like a labor of love where every guitar, every song was handpicked, every track was so painstakingly created by, you know, the developers as to, like, what would be fun to play. And then, by the you know, by the time we were playing, like, Guitar Hero 6, it just felt like they were just pumping whatever the fuck. They're just like, here's a new song with a new skin and guitar track, you know? So, I feel like AI wouldn't solve... The problem Guitar Hero ran into, which was just this oversaturation, too much, too uninspired kind of thing we got, and maybe, um, I don't know, maybe it could be more compelling, I don't know, but, it, I don't know, it's sad, because this is like the second time Bobby Kodak has brought up Guitar Hero in, in, in a sense, where he's just like, oh yeah, I'd like to see Guitar Hero come back, because he's also said, when the Activision Microsoft deal was first announced, like, oh yeah, maybe they can bring back some of our old IP, I'd love to see that happen, like Guitar Hero, and it's like, why do you keep bringing up Guitar Hero, Bobby Kodak, we fucking want, dude, we want Guitar Hero, I still, every day, I'm always just like, dude, my mind. Like, when I'm busy, when I'm distracted, when my mind is somewhere else, you want to know what my head looks like, the inside of my mind looks like, what my brain looks like, my thoughts. You know, some people, it's like they're, Jimmy Neutron, they got the neurons blasting off, firing in their head. No, the, inside my mind, if you could see, when I'm distracted, when I'm just staring off into blank space, my mind is just a notes highway from Guitar Hero 4 World Tour, and it's just a never-ending notes highway, and I'm just taking all the sounds and, 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 and feelings around me and translating it into a Guitar Hero track. I'm talking about you hear someone walking, someone tapping on a desk, someone doing this or that. My mind, I'm just translating everything into Guitar Hero. I'm constantly waiting for the Guitar Hero 4 Part 2 that we never got. I, I need more Guitar Hero in my life. Bobby Kodak, stop being a little tease. You have the authority and the power to grant us more Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero Live was not what we wanted. Don't try to act like you tried and failed. You know what, you know what went wrong there. Bring us more Guitar Hero. Phil Spencer, if you get this deal with Activision, bring us more Guitar Hero, please and thank you. All I need is Black Ops, Guitar Hero, and Spider-Man. If Activision could just be a glorified Black Ops, Guitar Hero, Spider-Man, and Spyro developer, and Tony Hawk, god damn, dude. Yo, Activision really does make some good games sometimes. 
when they're when they're not making exclusively Warzone that I don't give a shit about, they make some good games. All right, one more before we move on. Blizzard. Speaking of Activision. <laughs> From VGC, Blizzard has scrapped plans to develop or uh, to deliver a planned PVE hero mode for Overwatch 2 that was initially promised years back in 2019. So they said they were working on story missions and hero missions back in the time back back when they announced it. In a developer live stream this past week, however, Blizzard announced that to keep resources devoted to the live game, they have made the tough decision to cut the hero missions. Quote: Development on the PVE experience really hasn't made progress since uh, the, the progress that we had hoped. Uh, said. Uh, Jared Neuse. The team has created a bunch of amazing content. So there's awesome missions that are really exciting. There's brand new enemies and super fun to fight and some truly great ridiculous hero talents. But unfortunately, the efforts required to pull the trigger on all that and um, uh, we can really only ship you is a huge... Sorry. The, to bring you that quality experience that we can ship to you is huge and we really... There is no end in sight or defined kind of end date to which we could put all that out into the world. So we're left with another tough choice. Indeed, the team has made the tough decision to cut the dedicated hero mode. However, all is not lost. The team says moving forward that they're planning to make a co-op uh, gameplay and co-op experience just part of a live roadmap. So they, they want to be able to experience more content more often in more varieties of ways than just originally announced with this big drop of PVE. So there will be some form of PVE content down the road. It's just not going to be a missions mode or a story mode as was originally envisioned or promised. So I know it's a huge letdown if you're an Overwatch fan. That's like a huge blow. Um, almost like in a Halo live service game just to find out it's not going to be a live service and the entire campaign team got fired. So yeah, sometimes life sucks. And Overwatch fans, today, life sucks for you. And I'm sorry. And uh, COD players get no love on the multiplayer front. It's all Warzone these days. Now you Overwatch fans are getting it. Something's got to be done about these Activision guys. We got to buy them. We got to we gotta get Xbox to buy them. It's the only way to solve it. So I don't really know why I put that story there because I have nothing. I, I don't care enough about Overwatch to talk about this. But just want to put it out there. That content's been cut. All right, guys, that's it for all of our opening stories. Let's uh, We'll get into the main news, talk about the EU and the Activision deal, talk about some cool Ubisoft news, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But first, we're going to take a step back and do what we normally do, talk about the games I've been playing this week, which I'm pretty excited to talk about. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I just got to tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, I, I conundrum, okay? Here's the deal. So... I'm fortunate enough to live in a world where Sam's Club exists. I know not everybody has that fortunate reality. Not every point in time has had a Sam's Club. So for me, it's relatively easy to just head into a Sam's Club and get like a 15, 20 pound bag. Is it? No, it's like 15. 15 pound bag of raw chicken wings, frozen, just ready to fucking go. Take it home. We got the air fryer in this day and age with a couple of like recipe videos. It's really not hard to kind of nail a chicken wing recipe these days. You can eat delicious fried chicken wings and they can taste just as good as like going to a sports bar or whatever and getting chicken wings but you make them at home and they're actually healthy because chicken's healthy chicken's good for you it's a good protein to eat and air frying chicken is also healthy for you it just tastes like fried food so i'm not even kidding like my girlfriend and i really her more than anything this is one thing she just is a lot better than me at when it comes to cooking is really just nailing this recipe for chicken wings we found a couple good youtube videos took bits and pieces of various recipes and kind of tweaked it until we found our own way to do it but we basically once a week that's how good it is um we, we go to sam's club we buy a massive 15 pound pound bag of chicken wings we keep it stocked in the freezer at all times and then about once a week we'll have a night where we just like 
grab grab some salad mix, eat a fucking side salad, and air fry a bunch of chicken wings. But the thing is, you don't feel bad for eating them, and they're technically healthy because really all they are is just raw chicken wings, season, you know, salt, pepper, a little this season, a little that seasoning. You pat them with just a touch of flour just to add some bread so it has, like, a little bit of, like, an extra crisp when it cooks. But they're not, like, breaded or, you know... They're not, you know, it's not, they're not all carby and weedy. Listen, it's okay. It's mostly just seasoned chicken. And the best part is you pop in the air fryer, you do a little, a little sprig of oil. And that's about it. You pop in the air fryer, no butter. You're not using excessive oil. You're not frying it in oil. It's not unhealthy. It's not like, again, it's like eating baked chicken or something like that. You know, it's like taking chicken breast or chicken thighs, seasoning them and baking them in the oven and eating it with veggies. It's like, it's healthy. It's like normal. It's just, it's just another way to eat chicken, but it tastes just as good as like going to a fucking sports bar that's going to give you diabetes in two seconds and ordering chicken wings with your beer. It's like it, 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 it tastes equivalent. And so it's one of the very few like modern healthy cooking hacks, so to speak, where I'm just like, this really is, this really feels like I hate when people say like, ooh, Diet Coke. It's so good. It feels like cheating. It's like real Coke, but there's zero calories. It's like every every product in this world that claims to be that is a lie. It's bullshit. Some are better than others. There's some zero sugar sodas out there that are really good, right? Fair substitutes. There are some breads out there that are really great, you know, substitute for regular gluten bread or whatever. There are a lot of really good vegan knockoffs of, of fake meat products that are really damn good considering what they are. Absolutely. But there's no, there's no 100% perfect one-to-one substitute on any of these things there are really good alternatives but nothing is ever as good as the original except for air fried chicken wings it is just i like the only thing i add to it literally it's just frozen chicken wings you thaw them out pat them dry you season them you put just a touch of flour on there so they get a little crisp on them put them in your air fryer fucking 12 minutes flip 12 minutes so they're extra crispy and then you toss them in a little bit of buffalo sauce, a little sweet baby raised buffalo sauce, maybe some uh, Franks or some tobacco, whatever you want, whatever it is you want to put in there, you know, buffalo sauce. Make sure you don't get one that has a lot of added butter in it or anything like that, but that's it. That's the only thing that has any kind of negative health effect or anything is if you add the buffalo sauce, but you don't have to even add the buffalo sauce. My girlfriend just has a lemon pepper rub that she puts on there. Again, it's like, it feels like you're just eating baked chicken out of the oven or something like that, but it's chicken wings. It's just like the only, I'm like, I can't believe we just fucking agree. Like as a society for, for many, many years, we all just kind of agreed for so goddamn long. Chicken wings are delicious, but if you want to eat them, you got to dunk them in a vat of, of searing hot oil that is going to clog your arteries and, and fast track you to, to the grave. That's the only way to enjoy chicken wings. We all have to agree. And we as a society all put our hands in the pile together and we say, go team, as we fucking eat our ways to, to an early grave. And then just in the past couple of years, as as the air fryers become a, a commodity that we, we all have, everyone's got one in their kitchen, it's just a, a common kitchen item, just like a freaking microwave or toaster, you know, everyone's got an air fryer. Only in recent years have we come around to the idea that you could just pop chicken wings into an air fryer and it will come out exactly the same as if you dumped it in the vat of searing oil. The only difference is it's actually healthy this way because you're just eating good lean fucking ch- chicken meat. It's it's insane. I, I, it blows my mind every week when we're having our weekly chicken wings. Like, how is this possible? 
And you know what the other thing is? It's kind of ruined me a little bit because now when I go out to a restaurant that has, because like nothing's better than the, the chicken wings pizza combo. Like that's, that's one of the great experiences of being an American, right? It's like the classic, like New York style slice of pizza with a ice cold Pepsi and a, and a, and a bunch of Buffalo hot wings like that. Dude, I don't know if there's a better meal in existence. That's just the most satisfying, like, that's the most satisfying experience in the world is to sit down after a long, grueling day with some people you like, have some fucking pepperoni, New York slice, buffalo chicken wings, a little bit of ranch, and blue cheese for dipping, ice cold Pepsi, whatever. The, that That's just amazing. And whenever I I'm find myself in a situation where, like, I'm at a pizza restaurant or I'm at a sports bar and they got chicken wings on the menu... I can't bring myself to even order them or enjoy them anymore these days because I'm just like, damn, dude, chicken wings are so expensive. You go to some restaurants, it's like 20 chicken wings for $35. I'm like, what the fuck is this, a ribeye? Like, it's it's ridiculous. It's gotten ridiculous. Chicken wing prices are absolutely ridiculous. So I'm like, chicken wings are so expensive at restaurants and they're so unhealthy because they're all fried in oil, but I could just go to Sam's Club buy a massive 15 pound bag of chicken wings for like, I don't know, like 20 bucks. And then bada bing, you got healthy chicken wings at home. So, I mean, it's gotten to the point, like when we do pizza now, we don't even order wings ever. We, we order the pizza. And then as soon as we hit order on the pizza, we make the air fried chicken wings at home. And then we go pick up the pizza and bring it home. So we try to time it to where you bring home the, the pizza from, uh, from, from what is it called? Pronto Italia. That's the local pizza place. Pretty good. You know, you get you get Pronto Italia, and you get the the homemade air fried chicken wings. It's way cheaper. It's way healthier. It's way more delicious. The pizza's not healthy, but the, the wings are fine. And it's I, I don't know, man. I could just go on and on about it. I just sometimes I'm just at a loss for words. I don't know how we went from chicken wings are unhealthy. You got to dump them in oil for 20 minutes to chicken wings are actually insanely not only insanely delicious but insanely healthy. Just go eat. You know, not insanely healthy, but pretty healthy. You know. I could make those chicken wings and just eat it with a fucking side of broccoli and rice or some shit like that. And I'd be, I'd be happy as I'd, I'd be, I'd be, what's the expression? A, a pig, a pig and shit. I'd be happy, happy as can be. So shout out to air fryer and making your own chicken wings at home. Uh, extra F you to all the restaurants out there charging 30 plus dollars for an order of chicken wings. You suck. I've seen restaurants try to charge like $18 for an order of like eight or 10 chicken wings. Honestly, I hope you go out of business. If you're a restaurant and you're practicing that kind of pricing for chicken wings, I pray to God you go out of business so fucking fast it isn't even funny. And I say that as a man who spent 10 plus years working in the restaurant industry, including locally owned small mom and pop restaurants. If you're charging fucking $18 for 10 chicken wings, like take them off your menu. Like seriously, take them off your menu. Okay, nobody loves you. Goodbye. All right, that's it for what I've been eating. Let's talk about what I've been playing, guys. Oof. So, so bet that shape. So I already mentioned Crossfire X, so we'll just keep that. We'll, we'll Crossfire X that off the list, right? <laughs> uh, so I went back. I played a little bit of multiplayer. Replayed the campaigns just out of uh, respect for the fallen friend. Glad I got all the achievements in that game, so there's nothing missed. But I've been playing two other games. The first one is Redfall. This is the game I played the most this week. I, uh, I just. Dude, this weekend, I just plowed through the second half of Redfall. I beat the game. I rolled credits at around the 20-hour mark. I think I'm like 19 hours into the game. I, I gotta be honest, man. I man, I, I would have had fresher thoughts about this if it was a few days ago, but a lot's happened the past few days, so I'm not as, uh, you know, it's not on the mind as much. But Redfall, I gotta say, for those of you waiting out for the game to get better and for updates, respect. 
The game, no doubt, came out in an unacceptable state. We've already said that. We've already established that. Is what it is. It's unacceptable, but it is what it is. That being said, I do think that the ire towards this game about the performance is a little bit exaggerated. Just because, while, yes, it runs at 30 FPS on console, and I have to walk this back because I'm guilty of, of criticizing this game doesn't desperately need 60 FPS as badly as I thought because I played on PC and Xbox. And I'll be honest, the 30 FPS on console, or, uh, yeah, on, on console did not did not bother me nearly as much as I thought it would. So I got to walk it back and apologize for being so dramatic about that before. And then all the talk about how glitchy it is and all the, the animations that suck. Yeah, it looks rough around the edges. Don't get me wrong. It looks double A as hell. But it's not like Cyberpunk 2077 unplayable jank. It's, it's really not. It's The game is functionally 100% playable. It's fine. It just doesn't look pristine. And that, that goes from like animation glitches and bugs to like more so I'd just say the general like polish and graphics and texture popping and load in. I did watch a couple Digital Foundry videos on Redfall. Um, shout out to Digital Foundry if you've never watched them. They're a really big YouTube channel. I assume mostly everyone here in the show knows about them. But they do really in-depth technical deep dives into the latest things in gaming. To kind of show you like how games are running and looking and if they're you know optimized properly and things like that. It's really compelling to watch. But yeah, they, they did all this stuff on Redfall. And a lot of like my takeaway after watching that was like, you know what? This seems like a lot of cosmetic surface level stuff. For the most part, the game itself is largely unaffected from a moment-to-moment gameplay standpoint by the way this game was, you know, the state in which it was launched. The only thing I will say that I'll give credit for, sometimes the AI in this game can be dumb as rocks, but sometimes it's absolutely competent. It can be a little hit or miss. And then sometimes the game is like, here are not enough enemies, which I like because it makes the game feel moody and ambient and it allows you to explore. But then sometimes the game will be like, here are too many enemies at once. I'm like, okay, I understand the game is also meant to be played with two, three, four friends, whatever, but you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, here's not enough enemies and then here's too many enemies. It's either one way or the other. So there were times where I felt a little overwhelmed because I played on single player. Like, this is just too, too much going on at once. This is overload. So, mostly didn't bother me because I played on one of the easier difficulties. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I gotta say, Redfall, I had such a good time with it. I just enjoyed the cozy ambience at the, the New England fall kind of... Uh, Salem, Massachusetts feel the the especially when you get to the second map, the nautical carnival kind of feel that it does the lighthouse, all that stuff. It just it feels like open world, cozy fun left for dead. And I just absolutely enjoy every second of being in this world. I find the missions and the kind of checkbox style of the open world map to be incredibly fun and satisfying. It's one of those few games where I don't feel like ah, there's so much side content. I really don't want to do it. I just kind of want to blast the main campaign. No, I kind of enjoyed just taking my time and going through. I cleared almost everything in the game. I really didn't leave the map too empty. And I kind of really just had a great time going through and doing all the side content. Be like, I'll save the main mission until after I've cleared this safe house and done, you know, cleared this, uh, whatever those zones are called again, where it's like the blue zone where you have to go into the secret door and then fight like the the special infected vampire or whatever. I don't know. The, like the, all that stuff, I found it to be so, so fun. It's, so, it's such a nice... Far Cry checkbox kind of style experience, but with gunplay that I thought was pretty satisfying, with an open world that was really fun to explore, and with a tone that just really brought me, uh, honestly, the closest feeling I've had to Left 4 Dead since Left 4 Dead 2 came out in 2009. 
yeah, suck it back for blood. You failed. Suck it. All the other Left 4 Dead clones and inspired games that I've played since then. Nothing has made me feel this close to Left 4 Dead since Left 4 Dead 2 came out in 2009. That's how much I love the aesthetic and the feel of Redfall. Now, to be fair, the characters look like shit. Everyone has giant monster hands in this game and scary. The character models look like ass. The textures don't load in. And I hate the way that cutscenes are presented in this game. It's this very like cheap kind of like panel comic style, but it, it doesn't come across as like stylistic. It comes across as we had no money or time to get this done right. So I would have preferred proper cutscenes. The game definitely doesn't deliver in the presentation uh, department in that respect. Uh, I really don't like at all the way the game's narrative is delivered. The rest of the game's narrative is kind of delivered in these in-game moments where there's like these like wiry blue spirits and you kind of like interact with them and they pop up and again, they're static figures mostly just talking. I really, really, really didn't love the way story is delivered in this game. Although, I will say the story itself goes from kind of non-existent to paper thin to a little bit compelling at the end. I feel like towards the end, the, the story kind of picks up and it's quite interesting. I wish the earlier stages of the game had as much interesting storytelling and character development as the later stages. As for your playable character, well, yeah, this is, this is a little bit of a downside as well. It doesn't matter what character you pick. They all are just blank canvases that just have some generic phrases. None of them matter. Um, I picked the girl with the afro uh, that you see in most of the promotional material because she has the elevator gravity lift um, ability, which I thought was really, really cool and insanely helpful at some points when you're just trying to get around like high elevation points of the map. So highly recommend her. But again, I feel like this game didn't need to be a bunch of different characters split with a bunch of different skills. I felt like it could have just been like you have your own ability, you know, your own ability slots and you choose or unlock or equip different abilities and make it more of a single player experience. If this game had been a single player only experience, I feel like it would have been much better in that regard. That way you can mix and match all the abilities without having to have arbitrary like five different characters to choose from. And then to that, I'll also just say the multiplayer thing, man. Like, I, I don't know. I see, I see people trashing this game saying... It's a failed games as a service. This is why you shouldn't do games as a service. But I feel, I don't know, who who calls it a games as a service? I feel like everyone refers to it as such. But I don't see a lot of marketing where, like, Bethesda or Xbox are calling it a games as a service. Maybe I'm wrong and they are. But, like, I know they're continuing to support the game and they want to add additional content down the road. But this game did not read to me as a live service. There's no... There's no shop to buy skins. There's no season pass. There's no living, breathing, ever-changing world. It's just an open-world game that has a lot to do with some light RPG elements like skill trees and a weapon gear system. But so what? That's like, I mean, that doesn't make it a fucking... That's like saying Final Fantasy is a fucking games as a service because it has RPG elements. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I reject the notion that this game is a, a games as a service. It doesn't feel like one. I don't know if maybe that's something they're planning on making it into over time, but... It read to me like an open-world Far Cry-type game that will get DLC in the future, not like a games-as-a-service, this game will go on forever, wait till Season 7 when they get Freddy vs. Jason in the fucking game. Like, I, I did not read the game that way, so, you know, I, I got a buddy who said he, he's looking forward to the game, it's definitely a Halloween game for him, he's gonna wait for a couple updates to fix some things, make it a little smoother around the edges, and, and for it to just be a great Halloween experience for him and I, I I thought you know that's a great idea this game is the perfect Halloween game honestly if they had released in September I think that would have been the sweet spot but yeah I mean if you're if you're concerned about the state the game is in I would say maybe try something similar keep keep an eye out see where it's at around Halloween time and if it's in a much better state than it's in now I say this game is just a phenomenally fun 20 hours couple weekends of your life just 
goofing off in the town of Redfall, shooting some vampires, stabbing them in the chest with stakes, and I don't know, just enjoying some really, really fun forever Halloween atmosphere. I just, I really enjoyed Redfall. I would, I would go back and play this game again if someone wanted to play co-op. I would 100% come back for new content down the road. I think this game is kind of underrated in a, in the, in the hypocrisy, the, sorry, the, the, the outpour of negativity and hatred towards this game, I think is a little over. I think it's one of those things where it's like a bunch of people are responding to their favorite, you know, Twitter followers and, and content creators and going, Oh, everyone says the game's rough. Therefore it's, it's a piece of shit game. Let's review bomb it. We hate it. And really in reality, I think it's a game that definitely disappoints because this, you know, Arcane shown that they can be the best of the best. And this is a game that is definitely deeply flawed, but very, very fun at its core. And so for that, I say, yeah, Redfall is a absolute solid, rock solid seven out of 10 to seven out of 10 up and down the spectrum. It has some things that desperately need to be tweaked and fixed over time. I definitely think they should delay the game until maybe late summer, early fall. Uh, but the game I played for 20 hours and beat this past weekend uh, was a great amount of fun. I thought it was tremendous value for Game Pass. I hope Xbox will continue to focus more and more on making first-party games feel from a production level a little bit more first-party. Um, but just as far as the game itself goes, I had such a blast with Redfall. I I just hope more people are able to not let the conversation cloud their judgment and maybe just give the game a fair shake and see what they think for themselves. Because I think a lot more people were probably actually secretly in the closet enjoying this game more than maybe the atmosphere surrounding it would suggest. So shout out to Redfall. It's a great game. Really glad I played it. And I had fun. It was one of my most anticipated games of the year. <clears throat> Wasn't exactly what I was expecting. A little disappointing in some regards, but overall quite pleased. It was a great 20 hours. Thank you. Game pass. Thank you, Arcane. Move on with life, I suppose. Um, the other game I, I tried to play, and this one will be brief because it's super funny. So Blizzard had a Diablo 4 open server slam this weekend where basically you didn't have to pre-order the game. Anyone could download Diablo 4 this past weekend and just play the game through the first act. And the idea is, you know, they call it a server slam just to test the servers, try to stress test them, put as many people on them to try and make sure the game is in good running condition for when it comes out in a couple weeks. So I thought, you know what? I'm not the biggest Diablo fan, but people are just gushing about this game. I'm intrigued. I got a couple hours to kill. Let's try Diablo 4. So I go ahead and download it one morning. I'm like cleaning the apartment. I'm like, okay, it's downloaded. It's got like two hours before it's done downloading. So I'm like cleaning the kitchen, doing this, doing that, vacuuming, kind of getting things ready. I'm waiting. I see my Xbox in the corner. I'm like, almost done, almost done, almost done. Finally, the game's done downloading. And I'm waiting for a friend to come over and pick me up because we're, we're doing something. And um, the game finishes downloading. And I'm like, ah, I think I got like 20 minutes. Let me try to get 20 minutes of playtime in. This is Sunday. I sit down, boot up the game. Super awesome opening. This game's got like a fucking 12-minute opening that's so good. Like, as has always been the case, Blizzard has just some of the most amazing uh, opening cutscenes for their games, just like the old Warcraft games did, just like StarCraft games, all these games. Just really impressive opening cinematic. Okay? Cool. Really awesome. Let's get into the game. I make my character... We set off, and I'm about five minutes into the game. I'm like, okay, it looks and feels like... Diablo 3. I, I played Diablo. I'm kind of a layman. I'm not very familiar with the franchise. It just it seems like more Diablo, but let's see. I'm running around playing. I'm like, okay, this is fun enough. You know, it's dumb, easy fun. Like, I, I'm into it. Cool. Diablo. And then my friend comes over. I'm like, oh, shit, I gotta go. So, I, I whatever. Meet up with my friend. We go out. We do our thing. I come back later that afternoon. And I'm like, I want to see more Diablo. Let me try to spend two hours with it. Let me see what this game's all about. 
I sit down, I boot it up. It's like four in the afternoon, and my Xbox is like, or the game's like, oh, thank you. The uh, server slam for Diablo Four has has concluded. Thank you for your, uh, thank you for supporting the game or trying whatever. The game comes out June third, whatever. And I'm like, the fuck? So I spent two hours downloading this game to basically watch the opening cutscene, play, fi- create a character, and play five minutes of the game. And so I have absolutely nothing to say about Diablo Four. Cool ass opening scene. Uh, the game comes out soon. People are really hyped about it. Character creator. I've never been a fan, so I don't really have much to say about it. But you know, I could I could write a thesis, I guess, on on creator class, create creator class uh, characters. So I don't know. That's just really all I got. Sorry, I tried to play Diablo Four. This is where I this is what I was able to get out of it. So yeah, there's that. Redfall, Diablo 4, Crossfire X. That's my weekend, baby. Played some Xbox. Hope you had a good one. See you next week. Oh, wait. We got the news. All right. So that's it for what I've been playing. Now we'll jump into the main news. We'll talk about the EU and Activision and what's going on there. So let's take a quick break and jump right in. All right, guys. So starting with the news, uh, we've got two things regarding Activision, some big ones. The European Commission has officially approved Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. According to VGC, the approval is conditional on Microsoft fully complying with several commitment related uh, to cloud gaming market. The ruling arrived shortly after the UK's CMA prevented the deal in claiming that it would stop the acquisition from happening globally, which the US regular FTC is also suing to block the merger. However, Microsoft, Microsoft will hope the European Commission's decision to approve the deal will pressure other regulators to follow suit by clearing the deal subject to agreeing on concessions. The EU's investigation into the deal indicated that it would not harm the rival console and rival multi-game subscription services, that it could harm competition in the distribution of games via cloud streaming services and the supply of PC operating systems. To address the competition concerns identified by the commission, Microsoft ordered the following agreements within a 10-year duration. Number one, free license to consumers of the EA and the, uh, that would allow them to stream via any cloud game streaming service of their choice, all current and future Activision Blizzard PC and console games from which they have a license. Two, a corresponding free license to cloud game streaming services provided to allow EEA-based games uh, gamers to stream any Activision Blizzard PC console games. So stop for a second. That basically means any consumers of any country, part of the European Union, European Economic, whatever, Association, whatever, basically any streaming service available in these countries will have a free license to have Activision Blizzard games on their service and then also a free license for those streaming services to provide and allow those games to be streamed on PC and consoles. So that's basically saying like any streaming service that competes with Xbox Cloud Gaming can can get Activision Blizzard games on their service included. We, we won't charge for it. So, you know, whatever it is. Fucking Tubi, do they do game streaming now? You're on. Uh, all right, continuing on. Under supervision of the commission, an independent trustee will be charged with the monitoring the implementation of these remedies. Quote, the licensing will ensure that the gamers have uh, that have purchased one or more Activision games on PC and console stores or that have subscribed to a multi-game subscription service that includes Activision games have their rights to stream those games on any cloud streaming service and their choice to play uh, on any device using the, any operating system. The commission said on Monday, they added the commitment. The uh, The commitments fully address the competition concerns identified by the commission and represent a significant improvement of the cloud from cloud gaming as compared to the current situation. Responding to today's announcement, Microsoft president Brad Smith said the European commissions has required Microsoft to license popular Activision Blizzard games to automatically, uh, 
to competing cloud gaming services. This will apply globally and will empower millions of consumers worldwide on any device they choose. So they're saying they'll do it everywhere, not just in the European Union. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick said, the European committee conducted a extremely thorough, deliberate process to gain a comprehensive understanding of gaming. And as a result, they approved a merger with Microsoft, although they required stringent remedies to ensure those robust, blah, 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 blah. Basically just PR talk, whereas Brad Smith actually gave us some interesting info, which is that they're going to honor this globally, not just in the European Union. Uh, the CMA, however, followed up, not, not directly to the European Union, but following this news, People were like, oh, my God, does this mean the, the CMA is going to have to go back on what they said and approve the deal so that the deal can go through in the U.K.? Because they're the only ones that have, that have denied it. And so the CMA responds to the news and – sorry, CMA uh, CEO uh, Sarah Cardell uh, suggests that it was the wrong – it was wrong for the EU to approve the deal. Quote, the U.K., U.S., and European competition authorities are unanimous that this merger would harm competition in cloud gaming. The CMA concluded that the cloud gaming needs to continue as a free, competitive, market-driven innovative innovation that and choice is in the rapidly evolving sector. Microsoft's proposed acceptance of the European Commission today would allow Microsoft to set the terms and conditions for the market for the next 10 years. This would replace a free, open, and competitive market, which is subject to ongoing regulations on the games Microsoft sells, the platforms to which it sells them, and the conditions of sale. This is one of the responses the CMA's independent panel group rejected Microsoft's proposal for preventing the deal. While they recognize and respect the European Commission is entitled to take a different view, the CMA stands by its decision. So, again, as always, it's just like, I don't even necessarily disagree with the CMA, where it's like, yeah, I, I get it, man. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to governments versus corporations, I am for, you know, putting a tight collar on these fucking corporations. And be like, no, enough is enough. We need to allow for there to be more competition. We don't need three companies to own everything. You know, why, why the fuck does Disney own National Geographic? What the hell does that, does that do for humanity? How does that benefit anyone other than Disney's bottom line? So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I just, I, it's it, it's gross. Every time I open up Twitter, I fucking hate Twitter these days because it's just it's just endless Xbox fanboys on my feed, just constantly like you you're just trying to block choice for getting. It's like what, dude? You're so you are such a cringy human being. Listen, if your profile picture on Twitter is an Xbox logo or Master Chief touching himself gently, and your name is like Xbox Authority, you know, with three X's before and after the name, or some shit like that. And all your tweets are in defense of a corporation that doesn't give a shit about you. You you really got to do yourself a favor. Get off the fucking internet. And as the kids say, touch grass, loser. Because it's cringy. It's really cringy seeing people just fucking die on the fucking hill for Xbox in, their, in, their, in Microsoft's pursuit to purchase the biggest third-party publisher known to man. Which will ultimately do nothing in our world full of poverty, hunger, starvation, economic inequality... <laughs> social inequality just all all the shit the world actually deals with it will accomplish absolutely nothing it will just make microsoft even wealthier than they already are that's all that's going to get done from this deal and you just see all these fucking like eh, my name is ronald mcxbox and i am so pissed off because the, the british denied my xbox deal it's annoying because we got to deal with the story that's the real reason why it sucks because these fucking british people turned down the deal and now we got to spend another six months talking about this news story every week. That's the real reason it sucks. But listen, I'm for the deal because I don't want fucking Tencent or someone else getting Activision. I'm for the deal because I love Call of Duty and I don't, I, I'm not against 
not having to pay for Call of Duty again because it's included in my Game Pass subscription. Cool. But that's about the extent to which I give a shit about this. I'm not here like, yes, yes, we won. We got we got Europe. They're bigger than the UK. Europe is bigger than the UK. And now the US is going to say yes. And then my mom's going to let me go out with my friends. And we're going to go to FYE and fucking buy all the Xbox games and then drop pennies on on shoppers on the bottom floor from the top of the mall and then we're going to get escorted out by the mall cop security and I'm going to spit in their face but they're not actual real cops so they can't do anything about it stop okay just stop what you're saying everything sucks this is not that big a deal um I mean it's a big deal in terms of the implications it has for the gaming industry but I just the the people taking it personal like they have like they have a a horse in this race oh I need I need to know my my favorite gaming brand is going to spend 70 billion dollars to buy another powerful corporation from a man who sexually harasses women and doesn't do anything about mis- mis- uh, misconduct in the workplace. Oh, I just need it. I need it. Whatever. <laughs> that that aside, it's like, yeah, this is it's huge news, guys. The European Union agreed on the deal. And it does, I think, naturally, everyone's knee-jerk reaction. Every sane human being that's not just going to bat on Twitter with their fucking logo, with the red Xbox logo or whatever. You, you get on the fucking internet and you're like, okay, okay. So if the European Union approved the deal and every other smaller uh, regulatory body approved the deal, this puts the UK's CMA in kind of a funny position where it's like, huh, you said no, but Europe said yes. And the US might say yes with the FTC. So what happens if everyone says yes except the British? Because this will be the third time in history where the US is going to go, we're not going to let the British tell us what to do. Listen, why don't you guys focus on exorbitant energy costs and not taking care of your own people and giving all your fucking money to some royal family that's a glorified celebrity assholes and worshiping them like they're like they're royalty which is fucking atrocious instead of getting all up in arms about American businesses making deals behind closed doors okay British people I love how I'm just flipping the script now <laughs> now I'm just defending but no seriously I, I mean it, it raises the question like so where where do we go from here because now there's a conundrum and I feel like even if the CMA comes out and says this they kind of had to come out and say something right because it makes them look weak it is a power move for the EU to be like yeah we approve the deal and that's not to say the EU is trying to make the CMA look bad, but it does it does have that effect whether intended or not, right? So for them to approve the deal, it automatically puts the CMA in a little bit of a position where it's like, ooh, you look like a bitch now. Because every smaller entity approved it leading up to the CMA, then the CMA was the first big regulatory body that could have said something meaningful, and they denied it. And so everyone's like, oh, that's it, it's over. But then the EU, which is far bigger than the UK... It's like, nah, we'll prove it. And it's like, okay, well, what the fuck does that mean? That's like, that's like when, that's like when dad says no, but mom says yes. And it's like, well, mom, what mom says matters a lot more than what dad says. But I also, you know, can't necessarily get away with murder if dad's not on board with it. So it's just kind of one of those things, you know? Uh, sorry, British people. I know a lot of you don't like to be considered European, but you're, you're European. You are, you absolutely are. So that's just, I I don't know. That's, that's the conundrum, right? And so obviously Microsoft is in the appeals process with the CMA. And I feel like they're going to kind of have to, at the end of the day, you know, Microsoft's out here kind of publicly making this, the, the, the UK look like shit because they're the prime minister of the UK is is all like, Oh, we're going to be like Silicon Valley. We're going to come up with Uber. We are. And they're like, no, no, you're not. You're going to be fucking eating fucking beans on your toast and having exorbitant energy costs while your fucking 80 year old decrepit baby man becomes Prince. 
or king or whatever the fuck he became. And that's what's really going to happen. That's it's it's just weird because now they're just in such a a bitch like view relative to the EU. And if this gets approved in the US, it really is a situation of like I don't know, maybe maybe Microsoft is like okay, so there's this like there's this like UK division of Activision that kind of operates as an independent licensed entity separate from the proper Activision and in the UK Activision games are kind of self-published by this like spin-off group of Activision and they're sold at $70 a pop and they're regular they run like a third-party publisher you can get Call of Duty or Tony Hawk or Skylanders and fucking $70 a pop and sold from like this Activision UK publisher that's kind of like a spin-off independently run subsidiary of Activision but then in Everywhere, literally everywhere else in the world, you got the Activision proper that's owned by Microsoft, and they got Call of Duty on Game Pass, and we got fucking Alan Wake 2, that's right, we bought Remedy now, they're part of Activision for some reason, we got motherfucking DLC for uh, Concrete Genie, which was on PlayStation 4, four years ago, like, we got everything, and it's like, fuck you, fuck you, uh, the UK, because you guys said no, and everybody else said yes, good luck trying to be like San Francisco, they got homeless people everywhere, and it smells like poop, you want to be like that, you're already halfway there, London, from what I hear, very expensive city, get your shit under control, okay, no, but seriously, it's like the, the same criticism I have towards the CMA, it's like the same criticism I have towards the FTC here in America, it's like, why, why is our, why is the government so obsessed with fighting back over stupidity, it's like, ah, video games, we must, we must put our foot down and do something about this, but then it's like, oh yeah, millions of homeless people in our country, someone really ought to do something about that, huh, it's just, it's so, I don't know, it's just so stupid to me, but here we are, I mean, like, it's, it's a where do we go from here situation, right, and I think, the CMA is going to have to put on a strong face and say, we still disapprove of the deal because otherwise they look weak and stupid as fuck. And so I think they did what they had to do by making that statement. And then I think what you do is you just drag it out for a couple of months. You let the U.S. do no doubt what, this, what the FTC is going to do, which is trying to get some get some uh, mainstream media airtime by like trying to put up a little bit of a fake fight, kind of playing dead a little bit. And then ultimately, in the end of the day, keel over and let the and let the corporation have what they want, which is what is no doubt going to happen here in the U.S. That's how everything here goes. And then um, and then the U.K. will be like, OK, well, after many months of back and forth and a lot of uh, uh, and a lot of um, appeals and such, we've decided to 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 support the deal. However, we would like to point out, and I feel like this is probably what the EU, what the uh, CMA is going to have to do is they're, they're going to be the last ones to approve the deal. It's going to be many months down the road. They'll be the very last ones to do it. And they'll basically say, the reason why it got done was because after holding out and holding their feet to the fire and in many, many months of back and forth, we were able to get them to make further concessions that truly made the deal viable for healthy and uh, competition in, in the in the game streaming marketplace. And that wouldn't we don't think that would be what it is today without you know, our our commitment to holding them accountable and making them do the right thing to make, you know, cloud streaming a more viable market in the UK for consumers all across from from the from the four leaf clover lens all the way up to the Big Ben. And we'll be like, oh, OK, it's so cool. So awesome. Whatever. OK, so that's that's my guess is that's that's exactly what, how this plays out. We got the CMA. We got the FTC. U.S. government's going to put up a fake fight to make it seem like they give a shit. And then they're going to do absolutely nothing. Let the corporations win. And then the CMA is going to try to save face by 
putting the appeals process through its paces for a couple months and then ultimately say yes and try to save face by saying, hey, we, we got more concessions. We, we made this more fair and equal than it otherwise would have been. Aren't we so great? And then Microsoft will own Activision and then Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War 2 will come out and then I will play many hours of Black Ops Cold War 2 and then I will be very happy because it will have new Zombies maps on Game Pass. Okay, that's it. That's it. Done. Bye. Next week. See you. Have a great week. Just kidding. Let's talk about Ubisoft. Guys, Ubisoft is a publisher from France, so they don't bathe a lot, but they do have some interesting news for you. In fact, we got two stories, one regarding Assassin's Creed Mirage, the other X Defiant. Start with Assassin's Creed. So from VGC, the only website I'm aware of, that, and I think VGC is, I think they're British over there in the VGC world. So it makes so much fun of the Europeans, but I'd, I'd, I'd have no access to video game news without these people. All right, Ubisoft is, rep is reportedly targeting an October 12th, 20th, tw 2023, let's try English, release date for Assassin's Creed Mirage. That's according to Assassin's Creed data miner and serial leaker, not serial killer, Jonathan, spelled with a zero and seven O, who discussed the alleged release date in a YouTube video last week. When he claimed the release date is currently fixed internally, he suggested it could shift a few weeks, although no later than November, if that clashes with the launch of another major game, which has yet to be announced. Ubisoft has reportedly delayed Assassin's Creed Mirage at least twice after initially targeting a late 22 or early 23 release. Following a series of leaks, Ubisoft confirmed last September that Assassin's Creed Mirage is the next game in the series. Officially set for release in 2023, Mirage takes place in the 9th century, Baghdad and is described as a special tribute to the first Assassin's Creed. So it looks like this game is coming out this year. We all wonder what the hell is Ubisoft got going on? They have a huge drought. It looks like Assassin's Creed Mirage, should these leaks and rumors be true, uh, is going to be that big fall game for them this year, which I think will be a good one. I think return Assassin's Creed games sell very well with rare exception. And I think people will be pretty eager and hungry to experience something that is kind of that simplistic step back to the old school Assassin's Creed. And with it being tonally and artistically kind of an homage to the original Assassin's Creed, I feel like it will be it will be nostalgic for long long uh, old time fans of the, of the franchise. What I'm trying to say, and it will also be a good jumping on point, I think, for a lot of newcomers. So I feel like this Assassin's Creed is poised and positioned to be quite an accessible and highly marketable Assassin's Creed game. So I feel like this is going to be a pretty good one for them, provided you know it doesn't fall into the trappings of modern gaming, which is the game comes out buggy, broken, and you can make easy internet funny videos showing off how bad the game is. Uh, so hopefully that's not the case. But provided this game launches smoothly, I think this game has potential to be quite a big hit for Ubisoft, which they sorely, sorely, sorely need right now. The other game we're waiting to hear more about is uh, um, Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, which I'm actually personally pretty excited to see. That game is supposed to come out either this fall or next spring or something, so hopefully we'll hear about it sooner rather than later. I'm sure we will learn about it this summer. But uh, yeah, so that's Assassin's Creed Mirage. I, I gotta be honest with you personally, I don't generally have any interest in Assassin's Creed. The most I've ever wanted to play in Assassin's Creed was the third one because I thought the American Revolution was a pretty cool setting for Assassin's Creed, but that being said, none of these games have ever been compelling enough for me to actually play one. Uh, that one that took place in France was pretty cool too, although that's the one everyone claims to be the worst, although I doubt it. And then the other bit of Ubisoft news, the part I'm a little more excited about because I genuinely think this game is pretty good, Ubisoft has added X Defiant to its software release schedule for the 2023-24 fiscal year. The free-to-play shooter will be released during a 12 -month, the 12-month period ending on March 31st, 2024, which means we're basically about 10 months or less out from this game coming out. 
The publisher said on Tuesday, as previously confirmed, Ubisoft's 23-24 release schedule also includes Assassin's Creed Mirage, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Mobile, who cares, Tom Clancy's The Division, Division Resurgence, uh, another large game, unannounced, I guess, Skull and Bones, and The Crew Motorfest. So I assume The Crew Motorfest is going to be like a motorcycle version of The Crew. Skull and Bones is dead on arrival. Uh, another large game, can't speak to because we don't know what it is. Rainbow Six Mobile, nobody gives a shit. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora looks pretty good. And the Division Resurgence, uh, I keep forgetting, is the Resurgence the mobile one or is Heartland the mobile one? The mobile one nobody gives a shit about, but the free-to-play console one, that one looks pretty good. I'm pretty excited for that. So it looks like Ubisoft has a pretty solid slate on the horizon. And uh, they also say X Defiant will be, uh, of course, cross-play when it comes out. The beta that recently took place a few weeks ago had over a million players with strong viewership, community feedback, and retention, said Yves Gilmont, the CEO of Ubisoft. x is being developed by Ubisoft San Francisco, led by executive producer Mark Rubin, who people may know as the uh, guy who previously held the executive producer uh, position at Call of Duty Modern Warfare Studio Infinity Ward. In fact, this game is littered with old Call of Duty developers, which is why the game feels so damn good. It is basically trying to be what Call of Duty used to be back when it was in its prime years before they introduced skill-based matchmaking and tried to water down their games with Warzone and a Battlefield engine. So, love Call of Duty still, but yeah, I, I miss Black Ops 2 and Black Ops 1 and Modern Warfare 2, 09, and yes, I'm nostalgic. But, X Defiant's good. I, I played a couple of the closed alpha, don't don't take a picture of this or you'll get fired kind of beta things they had like last year. But then it was really this this past beta that was a little more open that people were allowed to stream. It's a lot more polished and you could also play it on Xbox instead of PC for the first time that I played and thought, this game is actually really good. <laughs> like I think X Defiant has a pretty, if, if all that matters is good gameplay, which we know that's not always the case because look at Titanfall, um, if all that really matters is good gameplay, I think this game has a really good shot at being big. But again, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just pure luck, what, what sticks and what doesn't. So X Defiant, you know, I really, I really truly hope is able to find a pretty good market and maybe give Call of Duty some serious competition just for the sake of keeping them on their toes and, you know, keeping things fresh. But I, I really, I'm really rooting for X Defiant. I played a decent amount of it. The maps are great. The gunplay feels mostly great. The character classes, I'm not a fan of at all. I'd rather have a custom class, kind of like Call of Duty, but that's not a deal breaker. The game overall just really feels kind of like like back in the heyday, kind of like 2000, 2009 to like 2012 kind of Call of Duty era. So if they can kind of capture and hold on to that magic and give people that, that dopamine hit that we so sorely miss from those days... Um, I think they could have a pretty compelling game on their hands. And the fact that they tried to drop some of the wacky stylization and just lean more into it being a serious competitive shooter and less of like a, whoa, we're like Borderlands, we're all wacky and crazy. Uh, I think going that direction was beneficial for them. And they're going to be able to find a little bit more of a serious competitive FPS fan base with, um, with this approach. And so... I don't know. I continue to be optimistic about this game. I think it's taken way too long to get it out the door, but I'm, I'm happy for them to take all the time they need to make sure it's done right. I just feel like uh, they might be putting themselves at risk by having it kind of out there in the open forever and ever and ever, but never having it available fully released. So hopefully this game comes out sooner rather than later, but it's good to know that we can expect it to launch for sure within the next 10 months. Personally, I'm pretty excited. I definitely plan on playing X Defiant, at least for a while, pretty regularly, 
um, because it's, it's a good game. If you like Call of Duty like shooters, I, I highly recommend you try X Defiant whenever you get a chance because it's, it's good shit. All right, our final big story of the week, and I say big, but I just want to rant about Halo. From Windows Central, in a new blog post, Halo developer 343 has given a first look at Halo Epitaph, an upcoming novel written by Kelly Gay. The post includes the book's cover artwork illustrated by Chris McGarth, as well as the story's synopsis and some hints about its setting. Halo Epitaph is bringing back the Didact, a forerunner that survived during the ancient forerunner Flood War and was imprisoned in argued humanity was un- for arguing that humanity was unworthy of the mantle of responsibility the task tended to go to protecting life of the galaxy during the events of halo 4 the didact was able to break free and attempted to convert all of humanity into controllable promethean thralls with a forerunner device called the composer however he was stopped by master chief cortana with an additional engagement resulting in the destruction of the composer and the defeat that banished him to the remain in his remains to the depths of the esoteric forerunner information repository called the domain according to the post halo epitaph will pick up right where the didact story left off after halo 4 in the following you'll read the synopsis which reads quote stripped of his armor might and memory the forerunner warrior stripped of his memory the forerunner warrior known as the didact was torn from the physical world following the destructive confrontation with master chief sent reeling into the mysterious depths of seemingly endless desert wasteland this once powerful and terrifying figure is now a shadow of his former self gone broken desiccated and alone but a wasteland is not a bit as barren as it seems a blue light glints from the thin spire in the far distance thus beginning the didact's great journey the final fate of one of the galaxy's most enigmatic and pivotal figures so oh yeah the the book is set to launch on january 2nd next year okay and they release his concept art and it's the didact and he looks like he's got half his skin but he's like half promethean so he's like half digitized and he's got like the fucking cloak that Master Chief wore in Halo 5's announcement trailer that people laughed about, but he looks cool in it. So who cares? And there's a spire in the background and it looks like that Halo 3 map and people are making assumptions about that. But here's the thing, guys. I read all that. And as I read it, just as a side note, God, Halo 4 is so good. I know people like to shit on it. People don't like 343, but Halo 4's story and campaign are so good. You guys, what the fuck? And, and this is the thing, guys. This is a slap in the face. I, I, I know 343 is probably doing this announcement thinking to themselves, well, first of all, this stuff is in proje- pr- production for a long time, so the, the wheels have been turning on more extended universe lore for a while. But the people overseeing kind of like the IP at 343, because 343 is to Halo what like Lucasfilm is to Star Wars. It's not just a game developer. It's also like an organization dedicated to shepherding the Halo franchise and all facets of media. So there is a division of, of 343 that's job is to just kind of like try and like work with publishing partners to do book deals and find authors to expand the lore and, you know, different toy companies to make merchandise and things like that. So 343, there's a different division that does a lot more than just make games, right? And so it drives me nuts that there's this part of 343 that's behind closed doors, shaking hands, kissing babies, and making deals to put out these new Halo books that are going to expand the lore. Listen, in its isolated context, because Halo at the end of the day is just like freaking G.I. Joe or any crazy 
action hero story. It's like, yeah, you kill a bad guy, he comes back, you do it again, you set up new world, you know, world imbalance and, and the characters, fate of the universe and the characters' hands, whatever. I like that. I don't give a shit. To me, you can stack up the dominoes, knock them down and reset them for the next Saturday morning cartoon all you want. I find that stuff fun. I try not to take my sci-fi too serious and just be able to enjoy that. So in its own context, in an isolated view, I think this is so cool. I love the didact. Oh, cool. He's coming back. This character art looks, this concept art looks so cool. Like, he looks so badass. I, I thought Halo 4 had such a cool story. I want to see this guy come back because now that he's, like, lost his memory, you can you can totally rebuild him and rebuild his character, reintroduce him to the franchise. He could be a totally different character now, but with his same kind of badass appearance and abilities. Like, this is so cool. Let's see, let's see what they can do. But then I'm reminded, oh, yeah, Halo 4... The story in which this character comes from leads into Halo 5 seamlessly. And Halo 5 sets a really cool precedent for what it's doing with the story. And then Halo Infinite kind of spits in the face of that and does something completely different. And then that something completely different is pretty cool and sets up a whole other arc that looks really fun. And then 343's single-player team gets laid off and there's so much shit going on at the studio and Microsoft has no control over their Halo developer and... Uh, Halo Infinite's no longer a live service game and what the hell is happening with the future of Halo? Who's making the story? Who's making the campaign? What's going to happen? The game ends on a cliffhanger. Where do we go after Halo Infinite? And then nothing. And then nothing. And now two years later, oh yeah, we're making a new Halo book. It's about the didact. Remember him from a few games back? He's, he's here again. Yeah, he doesn't remember anything, but he's here again. That makes me irate, dude. Listen, I, I can't keep doing this, man. You did Halo 5 which was a great direct sequel to Halo 4. And while Halo 5 didn't get everything right with the narrative, it overall had a pretty badass concept. Fucking Cortana's corrupt. She's she's fucking making an army of created that are turning against humanity. And it's fucking badass. Uh-oh. Halo Wars 2. Here's Atriox. Now he's coming into play. Humanity's fucked. They're up against Atriox and Cortana. What are they gonna do? They don't have the AI on their side. They don't got nothing. They're out. They're out. They're overpowered by Atriox and his forces. This is badass. Halo Infinite. Fucking erase Halo Five. Fast forward a little bit. All right, Atriox is dead. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> what? What happened? And it, it's. I can't keep doing this, man. Because Halo Five had a cool story. Halo Infinite had a cool story. And now this book sounds like it has a pretty cool story. But we can't keep doing this, man. You can't you can't just set up different... Oh, my God. It's like, imagine if there were only three Star Wars movies, all right? There's, a, there's three Star Wars trilogies when you think about the main entries, right? There's the original trilogies from the 70s and 80s. And then there's the sequel trilogies from the late 90s, early 2000s. And then there's the sequel trilogies from the early to mid-20... Or, I guess, the mid to late 2010s, right? So, those are the three Star Wars trilogies. Imagine if you pared down Star Wars and you only have three movies now. It is uh, Star Wars A New Hope. It is uh, The Phantom Menace. And it is The Force Awakens. And those are your three Star Wars movies. And guess what? They all come out about two or three years apart from each other. So, yeah, you know, the first Star Wars movie came out. We are introduced to Luke... You know, he finds out he's a Jedi, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi dies, and you find out there was some backstory between him and this this Anakin Darth Vader guy. Who's he? That's cool. Okay, I'm really excited to see where they go with that story. Let's see the sequel. All right, the sequel. What the fuck is this? Now Anakin's like seven years old. What the fuck? Who's this guy, Qui-Gon? Oh, God, he's dead. 
Who's the guy with the red face? Is he like a freaking ICP fan? What's this all about? Okay, well, that's weird. That was kind of cool, but like it had nothing to do with the last one. Okay, whatever. They're making a sequel. Okay, what's this? Star Wars The Force Awakens. Okay, why does this one look like the first movie again? Okay, okay. So they went back to the old art style. Okay, that's weird. I kind of liked the, the prequels. They did a new art style. I appreciated that. Now they're just going back to the old art style. What's this all about? Okay, who's Poe? Who's this little roly-poly bot? Okay, Stormtrooper turned rogue. That's pretty badass. Okay, Kylo Ren's here. Where's Darth Vader? Is he dead? Okay, I guess he's dead. All right, where's Luke? Oh, he's in the last two seconds of the movie. Okay. And it's just like, <laughs> that, that's basically where, where, that's actually exactly where Halo's at. Like, they're like, here's the new version of Halo. It's cool. Here's more of the new Halo. You hate it? Okay, we'll go back to the old version. The art style's different now. The story's different now. Oh, here's a novel. The story's different now. It's like, I, I can't keep doing this, man. You gotta, you gotta make a decision. So this, it comes off to me as tone deaf. That they, I, I feel like because of where the games are at, you gotta put a hard pause on Halo as a whole. Until you can figure out what the fuck you're doing with your developer and what you're doing with these games, you gotta put a hard hold on Halo. Because I'll tell you what, I, I haven't read all the Halo books. I've read a couple. I've, I've listened to a couple audiobooks. They're usually pretty cool. There's pretty cool lore in them. Sometimes they're a little dry the way they're written. But they're like the actual story beats are, are cool. I have zero interest in reading this book. Not because I think it's going to be a bad book, but because I don't care. I don't want another Halo setup that's not going to pay off because the next Halo story is going to be completely different. It's going to completely ignore whatever this setup and do something completely on its own. Because that sucks. I'm tired of that. I want a, I want Halo continuity. I want I want a sequel. I want to know what happened after Halo 5 still. I want to know what happens after Halo Infinite still. But I guess we'll just never know because now uh, fucking... The, the created war ended, Aatrox is dead, and I guess now the Didact is back. Whatever. And if you're not a Halo fan, you might just be like, oh my god, what is he even saying? But also, if you're not a Halo fan, why you listen to an Xbox podcast? Bad on you. How dare you be able to like one without the other? You know you should be a fucking dogmatic Xbox fanboy. You gotta like both. You can't have yin without the yang, you know what I'm saying, baby? But I don't know. This just it just... It boggles my mind. It's one of those like I'm so I'm so I'm so fed up and upset about Halo that I can't even be mad. That's kind of where I am. Like I know season three of Halo Infinite is pretty good, but I don't want to play it because Halo has just broken my heart, and I'm just I'm just not I'm just not in the mood. I'd rather go play Modern Warfare two because at least that game came out content complete. It has a steady stream of new content coming to it, and is fun to play and. I, I know they'll make a Modern Warfare 3 that continues the story, so whatever, man. I don't know. Didact, your new concept art looks awesome. Uh, shout out to Halo 4, the game rocks, and go read Halo Epitaph if you want to start another trilogy that's never going to have a direct sequel. All right, that's it for all the news this week. Guys, let's wrap up with some, uh, actually close out before we get to the small stories. Some games coming and going from X, uh, Game Pass this week. So from Xbox Wire, available today, FIFA 23 is now on cloud console and P, or sorry, console and PC for EA Play uh, through EA Play, which you have if you have Game Pass Ultimate. Coming soon on May 18th, the day this show goes live, Eastern Exorcist, Eastern Exorcist and Ghost Lore are available now on console and PC. Planet of Lena comes on May 23rd to console and PC. It's a day one Game Pass game. Uh, I keep meaning to check that out. I'm going to pre-download that one. Uh, Cassette Beasts is on console May 25th. Also on May 25th, you got Railway Empire 2 on cloud console and PC. It's a day one Game Pass game. Shout out to people looking for their uh, <laughs> rail sim games. Massive Chalice comes to cloud and console. That was a Games of Gold back in the day, a long time ago on the Xbox One. I don't know why I remember that. Chik Chikori, A Colorful Tale, cloud and console on May 30th. And then on May 31st, the following games are leaving Game Pass. Uh, lawn Mowing Simulator, Floppy Nights, FIFA 21, Europe... An 
uh, Universalist and Evil Genius 2 World Domination. Sorry, Kronky. I know you love Evil Genius 2. FIFA 21 leaving is because we're getting FIFA 23. And Lawn Mowing Simulator, well, you already got Railway Empire 2. What more could you want, okay? Don't be greedy. All right, that's it for all the news this week. You guys, let's wrap up with the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions. We've got a couple of them real quick here, so let's blast through them. First up, VGC says the Entertainment Software, or ESRB, has rated a Xbox version of Stray, the cat game that came to PlayStation last summer. Originally spotted by Twitter user Makos380, the game is listed as one of the most recent ESRB titles rated for Xbox One and series consoles, suggesting the game is coming imminently. Published by Annapurna Interactive and developed by French studio Blue 12, the uh, Stray was a critically acclaimed PlayStation PC title last summer. Next up, Bluebird team has announced a June 15th release date for Layers of Fears, the the first-person psychological horror game for Series X, S, and PC, coming to Steam and Epic Game Store. Co-developed by Bluebird team and Asher Studios, sorry, Anshar Anshar Studios, it it includes the original Layers of Fears, its Inheritance DLC, and Layers of Fears 2 rebuilt in Unreal Engine 5. So it's like a collection. I didn't realize that. I thought it was like a remake. So that makes me less irate by the name. And then next up, Lords of the Fallen is seemingly targeting an October release date. Lords of the Fallen Fallen comes on October 13th. Reliable leaker, I can never say this right, Aguirre Lumia tweeted on last week with no further details. The data miner regularly reports on things coming to Game Pass or Windows Store and Xbox rather before they're made public. Lords of the Fallen is a reboot of the dark fantasy action RPG of the same name that was released in 2014. Next up, Brictional Games have announced a delay for Amnesia the Bunker. Originally set for May 16th launch, it will now come out June 6th. Next up, Xbox Series X and S have sold reportedly 2 million units in the UK. Uh, as from gamesindustry.biz, some charts from company GFK revealed that Microsoft's current-gen console took 128 weeks to hit the milestone. This is actually faster than the time it took Nintendo Switch in the UK to hit 2 million units, which is at 140 weeks, so that's pretty impressive. It does also note, however, that Series X and S are far from the fastest home uh, consoles to reach that point. Several other reached it faster, including Xbox 360, which took 110 weeks, and Xbox One, which took 104 weeks. So Xbox One did pretty well compared in its early days. It's also slower than PS5, which reached the milestone in 98 weeks, and itself was two older generations, uh, the PS4 in 74 weeks, 75 weeks, and PS2 in 60 weeks. The fastest-selling console to hit 2 million in UK history remains the Wii, which only took 57 weeks. So Xbox is doing relatively okay, but... By history's sake, not that impressive. Next up, VGC reports uh, Sega could become the next large publisher to charge $70 for games going forward. And a, C- a CFO said, CEO and CFO said during a Q&A um, investor call that they're search, you know, looking for games that might fit that, that pricing structure. Blizzard have announced that BlizzCon will return to the Anaheim Convention Center in California later this year. The event takes place November 3rd and 4th. Further info will come in the next month. Next up, Saudi Arabia reportedly increased their stake in Electronic Arts. According to Seeking Alpha via GamesIndustry.biz, the Kingdom's public investment fund, the PIF, uh, published a new filing detailing the business of three months ending in March 31st. In that period, the PIF reported increased numbers of EA from 16.01 million to 24.81 million. The increase of 55% of shares, PIF's total ownership, Stake in EA Sports FC published around 9%. So uh, this god-awful government-run organization from terrible, tyrannical, piece-of-shit human being continues to just buy up gobbles and gobs of the games industry, which is terrifying. 
See next up, CD Projekt Red's laid off 29 employees uh, after re-scoping its wa- uh, Witcher spinoff game, Project Cyrus. The layoffs mostly affect developer Molasses Flood, the American studio behind Flame and Flood, which CD Projekt acquired in 2021. Quote, because the project changes, so has the composition of the team that's working on it, mainly in the Molasses Flood side, CD Projekt said to the VGC. 21 U.S.-based developers have lost their jobs, eight employees who have been working on the project in Poland. Shout out to the developers who lost their jobs. Hopefully, nothing but good stuff comes their way following the devastating news. And finally, developer, uh, sorry, Devolver Digital, the indie publisher, have announced plans to hold another Devolver Digital showcase this summer, probably around Summer Games Fest. So be on the lookout for more info on that. That's going to do it for all of our news this week. You guys, crack your nuts, drink some water, sit down in the chair. Let's talk about the comments. Favorite ending segment, the only ending segment for the Xbox on podcast. You know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. You click on the latest episode, hit subscribe while you're there. Leave a nice review on iTunes. You leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. You say something nice. You say something mean. You can even say something in between, but don't, don't call me Shirley. All right, guys. Uh, I, first of all, thank you. If you listen to the show on YouTube, I don't know what happened. I guess the podcast just kind of hit the algorithm. This show does okay for what it is. Considering I'm an absolute nobody with no, with no, like, I know no reason to be in the know about things. You know, I don't work in the industry or anything like that. I'm just a random guy with a, with a microphone. I'm happy with the way the show performs, but YouTube is not the place where it performs at all. YouTube, it just flaps and flails, which I expect it's YouTube. So the podcast usually gets around like, I don't know, like maybe on a good week, a hundred listens on YouTube. And for some reason this past week, uh, last week's episode just did really well. And it got like well over 500 views. So really appreciate it. If you checked out the show for the first time this week because of YouTube, I appreciate you t- checking out the show. If you're here again, second week in a row, I, I, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for listening to the show and supporting Xbox on. Uh, please rate the show on iTunes and other podcast services. It means a whole lot. If you're not, uh, I will say, if you're not going to rate it five stars, please do not rate the podcast i'm not trying to figure out how i can be better i'm not looking for constructive feedback i'm looking for affirmation so thank you very much for cooperating and now let's get to the comments guys we got i think 12 entries a lot with a lot of views came a lot of comments so we're gonna blast through them but i want everyone to be heard so we're gonna gonna include them so tune out if you don't like comments but if you don't like comments then you don't like this podcast because this comments the best part it's the icing on the cake. Tech Daddy K writes in for the first time in a while. Tech Daddy, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. He says, yo, how's your cat? Cat's good. Uh, she feels neglected lately because we're very busy with some stuff and we don't have as much time. And I feel like she is constantly feeling shafted and it makes me feel so bad. So I'm trying to spend extra time with her wherever I can. I'm trying to find little moments to sneak away, pet my kitty and tell her how much I love her. But she's doing well. Hope you're doing well, Tech Daddy. Cody Pavon writes in and says, hey, Jesse, been a couple weeks. Hope the home search is going well. Thank you. It's going. Uh, as for me, I've been being a patient one, giving Arcane the time they need to patch up Redfall where it should be. I'm excited to try the game, just not in its current state. In the meantime, I'm playing NHL 23 to satisfy my hockey craving. Active Golden Knights fan. Uh, praying we will take the Stanley Cup this year. I used to like hockey a lot as a kid. I kind of fell out of love as I got older, but I'm from Georgia, okay? We had we had uh, the Atlanta we had the Atlanta Thrashers, and then they sold them to the Canadians, and then my love for hockey died immediately. So happy for you, man. Hey, let's go active Golden – or let's go Golden Knights. Uh, hey, I live pretty close to Tampa Bay Lightning, though, and they're a pretty good team, right? So there's that now. I, I really need to go out and see a Tampa Bay Lightning game. I feel like that would be a really fun time, actually. But, yeah, hey, I appreciate you. Uh, we need more of that. People like kind of sticking, sticking by their guns, sticking to their guns, and saying, "Hey, I'm not happy with the way this game is. I'll play it when it's ready." So that's that's good. Hopefully by Halloween time it is ready. Because again, I highly recommend this game around 
the season, the spooky season. So thanks for writing in, Cody. Uh, go Golden Knights. Have a great week. And please, if you're going to eat Pringles, the ranch ones are so good. Wes H. writes in and says, Jesse, I have to know. Are you wearing boxes right now? No, Jesse, I have to know. Do you ever drink regular Mountain Dew? I'm not a huge soda guy, but whenever I buy Mountain Dew, I never think of getting a special flavor. Yet that's all you talk about. Going off from going off of that, what's your top three flavors? Wes, this is probably my favorite comment of the week, so thank you for being a god-tier human being and commenting in with it. Yeah, so that's a good point. I forget about that. Um, most people probably just think of regular Mountain Dew. I know. I feel like the way people view Mountain Dew is it's like there's regular Mountain Dew, there's Code Red, and there's Baja Blast. Those are like the only three flavors people probably really think about. But as I was saying to someone earlier this week, I think someone at work, there's two types of Mountain Dew people. There are people that drink Mountain Dew. Those are generally people who buy regular Mountain Dew and drink it. And then there's like Mountain Dew culture people, like people who are fan, not fans of the drink Mountain Dew, but fans of the Mountain Dew culture. And that's kind of the camp I put myself in more. Not to say that like people who just like regular Mountain Dew are uncultured. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is there there is a community of Mountain Dew people like myself who are just uh, we're uh, we're just kind of too into the it's you know it's it's kind of like we were saying earlier it's like the it's like the weird people on 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 Twitter who are like 37 year old men who their Xbox pro their their Twitter profile picture is like Phil Spencer cradling a fucking Xbox Elite Two controller and their name is like Xbox Xbox uh, Elite Thief x96 d and it's like fucking weird they're just like they spend all day tweeting xbox is fucking king look at all these games xbox has announced that will probably come out one day they are god i worship them that's kind of like where i am with the mountain dew community a little bit where it's just like yeah mountain dew regular mountain dew is great don't get me wrong it's the thing that started it all we owe it all to mountain dew it's the jesus christ right but when you're into the culture of mountain dew when you're in the mountain dew community it's really more about the reminiscing of flavors of of Mountain Dew past while also speculating and anticipating the f- the flavors yet to come that's kind of like the fun of the Mountain Dew community so yeah yeah don't get me wrong I'll drink a regular Mountain in fact the Mountain Dew I drink the most is zero sugar regular Mountain Dew because I I can't really drink sugary soda as much anymore um but so like no doubt I love regular Mountain Dew it's great shit but yeah, the fun of the Mountain Dew community is always fixing on the fun flavors because historically, it's not so much these days, but historically, I think what makes Mountain Dew this way is, well, Mountain Dew obviously has kind of a marketing association. It's like kind of like the soda for like edgy gamer kids, Ugh, skater, gamer, 90s, whatever, Mountain Dew. Like it, it kind of has that association, you know, people still think of Mountain Dew and think like Call of Duty, Xbox Doritos, that kind of thing. So I think part of that group is just a bunch of like st- stupid young guys who want to drink sugary crappy nonsensical soda but i think also it's because and more importantly so um historically mountain dew has been one of the few sodas where they can do experimental flavors and it's like oh this isn't shit you know like you think about coke like obviously coke is most people would consider is the best soda right coke oh so good but you think about all the variants of coke it's like eh there's cherry coke that's fine there's vanilla coke that's pretty good obviously diet coke is where it's at for most people because it's just statistically so popular but like I don't know, like, you don't see the world on fire when they're like, here's Coke Summerfest, or here's Coke Marshmallow Edition, or here's Coke Lime and Tortilla Chips Edition. You know, like, they do that stuff. Like, you get that. You get the fun flavors of Coke. But people aren't, like, obsessed with that. There's no culture, really, around the various flavors of Coke, you know? They all do it. Even other Pepsi-owned sodas, like like Pepsi or, or whatever, or, like, Sierra Mist and all whatever, Dr. Pepper. 
Although Dr. Pepper just partnered with Pepsi, they're a separate company, but we don't need to get into that. It's just one of those things where Mountain Dew surprisingly just had historically a good track record of their spinoff flavors being just as good and in some cases better than their original soda. So that's where it comes from. It's like, well, why does everybody know Baja Blast? Because Baja Blast is like in some cases better. I don't actually think it's better than regular Mountain Dew, but to a lot of people, Baja Blast is better than regular Mountain Dew. That's why people care about the other flavors because it's like, Wait, so Baja Blast isn't just like some like promotional gag flavor for for Taco Bell. It's like genuinely a better Mountain Dew flavor or a really great Mountain Dew flavor. Yeah. And the same thing about Code Red. Like a lot of people would say Code Red's better than regular Mountain Dew. It's just a beloved classic flavor. And so Mountain Dew just kind of has that prestige historically, like Game Fuel back in the day. It's a god tier flavor. I would say Game Fuel is definitely better than regular Mountain Dew. Absolutely. Uh, Voltage. I would say Voltage is better than regular Mountain Dew. Voltage is so good. My favorite Mountain Dew flavor. White out, oh my, rest in peace. White out is the best soft drink ever made in the history of humanity. Um, so it's just like Mountain Dew had a really good history from the beginning of its inception until I'd say about mm, five years ago, where basically they didn't, they with rare exception, they didn't miss. If they put out a new flavor, it was good. Pitch Black, Livewire, they're always good. They're always really good sodas. Nowadays, I, I have, you know, I've talked about on the show, I won't get into it. I have issue with Mountain Dew. They release way too many flavors way too frequently, and half of them don't have the Mountain Dew charm that usually they do have. Like, usually if Mountain Dew flavor tastes like Mountain Dew with a, a surge of some other flavor. Nowadays, they'll just fucking make fucking Grape Fanta and slap a Mountain Dew label on it. And be like, it's, 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 it's Mountain Dew, believe me, trust me. Fucking summer edition, here's fucking strawberry lemonade, Mountain Dew, why not? And I, I take issue with that, but I think that's where it comes from. It's just like for Mountain Dew fans, it's like generally exciting. Like a few years ago, we got Liberty Brew for the summer. That was a great flavor. Dew SA, really good. Pitch Black is almost always really good. Um, or Pitch Black is really good, rather. Voodoo, the Halloween flavor, is is almost always pretty good. Uh, Live Wire staple, amazing. White Out, Voltage, Code Red, all great flavor. And so it's like, it's just, that's just the thing. It's like Mountain Dew, it's awesome. The culture, the fun of it, it's just. I, I'm half joking, but I am half being serious. I, I do follow the Mountain Dew subreddit. Um, please don't judge me. But yeah, my top three fla- favorite Mountain Dew flavors, without a doubt, my number one is always going to be Whiteout. Whiteout is the best Mountain Dew. Rest in peace. From what I understand, they only sell it in like <laughs> like the Midwest United States. It's really hard to get your hands on. Um, but when that was available from 2009 until about four years ago, uh, I, I, that was my favorite. That's my favorite drink. Other than water, my favorite drink would be my Mountain Dew Whiteout. So good. Um, my second favorite Mountain Dew flavor, I'm going to have to say is live, uh, not live wire is, is game fuel. Uh, you may have tried it like the Halo three game fuel or the Halo four game fuel, or like they did a game fuel when the Xbox one came out, they've done game fuel a lot of times. And sometimes they'll do like a different flavor of game fuel. Like for when call of duty advanced warfare came out in 2014, they did Mountain Dew game fuel, but it was like a lemonade version. That one sucked one world. At one point they did a world of Warcraft one where they had like a cherry game, like a, it was like a cherry code red game fuel mix thing. And then they had like a blue berry kind of charged mixed berry charged game fuel. Those were good, but I'm talking about classic game fuel like the halo 3 if you literally type in halo 3 mountain dew game fuel that that oh my god dude for a while for a couple years it was sold as an exclusive flavor at arby's for some reason and when it was i went to arby's a whole fucking lot there was an arby's on my college campus and i would go there and get fucking chicken sliders and in a mountain dew game fuel like three times a week i swear to god it was so good but um yeah those days are gone unfortunately arby's now sells coke fuck you and um, but yeah, I'd say number one is whiteout. Number two is definitely game fuel. Number three is a tricky one. I feel like number three could probably change depending on the day of the week. 
Sometimes I might say Livewire, but that's not true. Sometimes I would say regular Mountain Dew, but that's not true. Dude, that's a really hard question. I actually don't know the answer. I actually don't know the answer. I, I kind of hate that you asked me that question. It's hard. I don't know. I, I, I'd say probably Voltage. Probably Voltage or or Liberty Brew or Livewire. No, let's say regular. Let's 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 give the classic flavor its its spotlight. Let's just say that just because it is the classic. So I'll say Whiteout, Game Fuel, and Classic Mountain Dew. Although I'd probably say Voltage for real. Uh, maybe maybe Whiteout, Game Fuel, and then Voltage. I don't know. Fuck off. This is too hard. Wes, thank you for writing in. Great question. OG Man writes in and says, "Happy for you. Sorry, happy for you going through the home buying process. I bought mine literally a month before COVID hit. Got my keys in March of 2020. Definitely one of the most stressful and annoying things, but it's the best decision I've ever made." OG Man, if I were a little bit older and a little bit, if it weren't for the fact that COVID happened like right after college when I was so broke and didn't have a way of buying a home, but no, seriously, happy for you, man. That fucking rocks. That anyone who bought their home before COVID. Or, or during the early days of COVID when interest rates were at the bottom of the floor. Good on you. <laughs> I tried the newer Do Summer Freeze because I saw you tweet about it. It wasn't bad. But I'm curious, uh, your top three or five Do flavors are not... Oh, shit. I didn't realize that multiple people commented about this. Holy fuck. <laughs> and this is this is pure coincidence that I pasted these comments back to back. This is actually pure coincidence. I didn't notice that. So you guys both asked about this. Okay, so to answer it, yeah. You said your top fa- flavors are Baja Blast... But two and three is probably Voltage, Livewire, or Spark, hard to pick. Uh, Spark, I'll fight you on Spark. I'm not a fan, but whatever, teach their own. Uh, but yeah, Voltage, pretty solid pick. Livewire, pretty solid pick. Baja Blast is really good. I'd say Baja Blast is definitely top 10. I don't know. I don't know. Because there's the special thing about Baja Blast is it really is a special flavor when you drink it with Mountain with uh, with Taco Bell and how the drink kind of feels integral to a Taco Bell experience. But I feel like that's also its downside is that like, when they release Taco uh, uh, the Baja Blast in stores every now and then as a special limited time run, and you can go to Walmart and buy a 12 pack of Baja Blast, it's cool. But then you go home and like you know you make dinner and you're like drinking a can of Baja Blast with like with like chicken tortilla soup or something like that, and you're just like, this isn't Taco Bell, you know? It's like it's, you know, you made like fucking like a Primavera pasta or something for dinner, and you're like my Baja Blast does not go well with this because it just I feel like I should be eating a Crunchwrap Supreme right now. So that's my problem with with Baja Blast, but it is so good, especially with with Taco Bell. It's just a beautiful match made in heaven, but really solid pick. Um, Shout out to Voltage. Voltage is probably my number three. God, yeah, probably Whiteout, Game Fuel, Voltage. I'd probably say that. Pretty solid lineup. All right, Livewire. Special shout out to Livewire. The only time I can ever find it is when I visit my mother in Kentucky. The one time I did that. (laughs) Let's talk about Phil Spencer, guys. All right. Cronky writes in and says, I'm on Phil Spencer's side. No matter how good Zelda is, I'm not going to play it because it's on Switch. No matter how good God of War Ragnarok is, I'm not going to play it because it's on PS5. Therefore, it stands to reason that if Starfield's an amazing game, those... Uh, those other two groups of people won't drop everything and go buy an Xbox. I think you've overestimated how much people will be swayed by a couple of good games. Edit. I mean, obviously people will be swayed. The question is if a significant number will. And the answer is, I believe, is no. Uh, probably a tiny handful. I don't think a tiny handful. I think a reasonable number of people because I think at a certain point people buy a second console. I think there are people who will buy a PS5 and if Xbox Series X and S continue to have great games, 
maybe after three or four years of the generation, they'll go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cave in and also pick up a Series S because this game and this game and this game look really good. So I have my PS5. My PS5 is my primary. I love it. But now I'm going to pick up a Series S also because I kind of want to play this, this, and this. But when Xbox doesn't have this, this, and this because all their games keep fucking coming out broken and half-finished and not great, then you're not giving PlayStation fans a reason to pick up a Series S as a secondary console, you know? You're not giving... You're not giving, and it's different with Nintendo because a lot of their market is kids. It's either grown ass adults who played Nintendo secondary because they're nostalgic for freaking Mario, whatever. That's fine. But the bigger portion of the Nintendo audience is kids. And so if you're Xbox, you want to be on good, on, on good terms with Nintendo and you want to sway Nintendo gamers because a lot of those kids are going to grow up and then, and then go all right, well, Nintendo's going to be my secondary or I'm going to move on from Nintendo because I kind of outgrew some of this stuff. And they're going to go to PlayStation or Xbox. So if you have really compelling games, you're going to convince a lot of these Nintendo gamers to grow out of Nintendo into Xbox. But if you have bad games, you're going to convince all these Nintendo gamers to grow out of out of Nintendo into PlayStation or PC. That's what's going to happen. And, and so I, I actually refuse to believe this. I think great games will actually absolutely sell Xboxes. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it will sell enough Xboxes to outsell the PS5, but I think it will build a ton of goodwill. It will drive Game Pass subscriptions, and it will make people buy more Xboxes, no doubt. So I, I, I greatly disagree. You are not going to play Zelda because it's on Switch. Many millions of people will go buy a Switch because Zelda is on it. That is a fact. You want a game that's so good that it's going to make people who don't play video games buy your console to play your video game. That's why everyone wanted kind of the motion control Wii craze. That's why Xbox did Connect because they wanted to find a way to get people who don't play video games to go buy their hardware. It's the same thing. Nintendo's really good at that. Think about all the people that ran out and bought a Switch to go play Animal Crossing who would never buy a PS5, who would never buy an Xbox. And Nintendo can target that market. I'm not saying I need Xbox to go make a bunch of casual family audience games. Like, I don't need them to go try to market a grandma or anything like that. But I'm saying, try to think about making a game that's so compelling that you got someone who doesn't even own a console to buy a console. Or you got someone who's so staunchly on another platform that they're going to go, in addition to their platform, pick up your box to play your games. That's what you want to do. And Xbox is certainly not giving people that reason. That's that's my re rebuttal, but... Teach throne. Fedimus wrote in. This guy's a freak. I think I'm related to him. He says, I love Xboxes and Phil Spencer. They are so cool and so much better than PlayStations. I'm your biggest fan, Heart Emoji. Thank you for podcast. Elias wrote in and says, Shout out to his family. I think that's in regards to Phil Spencer's family. Got a couple of first time commenters. I meant to put these at the top. I don't know how they ended up down here. Tilon Ferreira wrote in and says, Awesome video and content. Glad to have stumbled across your channel. Keep up the great work. Well, hey, man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for uh, watching the show. Hopefully, hopefully you liked it and uh, you'll come back again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, appreciate you. Hope you enjoy the show. Jonathan Hijelkema writes in, again, can't pronounce shit. I need everyone to be named like Ron Person. Uh, anyway, this podcast is really chill. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Again, lots of new listeners, lots of new comments. Just because, uh, for some reason, YouTube pushed up my video this past week. So I appreciate the new listeners and the new comments. And uh yeah, thank you so much for listening. All right, next up, Mr. Maug writes in with a long one. He says, we're talking about Phil Spencer. He says, it seems like you're misinterpreting what Phil Spencer meant when he made the comment about putting great games 
on Xbox isn't going to solve everything. I think he's 100% correct. He's not saying that he's not going to give that he's going to give up on making great game ex, great exclusive games. They indeed are going to do that, but it's just that they're not going to move the needle much as as much as people think. This is kind of what Cronky's saying. Now you're saying it too. PlayStation and Xbox each basically went through the same thing from the 7th generation to the 8th generation consoles. One came out too expensive and the other with not sorry, one came out too expensive with not the right messaging while the other undercut the other and was easy to develop games for PlayStation three started out to release PlayStation three started to release better exclusives and got their console cheaper and recovered Xbox one did the same thing, but made a more, but made a more powerful console started adding quality of life features and was not able to recover. I would argue that is because Xbox series or Xbox one was not putting out the games that were speaking to the market. Xbox one put out amazing games, but they were games that, spoke to an xbox 360 generation whereas ps4 was making games that spoke to a ps4 generation even though i personally prefer xbox one thought i had amazing games i just think that's kind of part of the issue to be fair and also i think xbox one usually didn't have enough games at any given time but continuing on you said it's not like xbox one generation didn't have great exclusives you say it yourself it's your favorite it's uh it's your favorite generation but despite who has more of the better it's my favorite xbox generation not my favorite but but despite who has more of their exclusives? People are going to buy PlayStation just because it's a PlayStation. PS5 didn't come out with anything, any must-have exclusives, yet it became more valuable than gold when it came out. Absolutely. I, th- I think, listen, I think you make a great point here, Mr. Maug, because no doubt PlayStation has reached kind of an Apple status. I think a lot of people have caught wind of this and started talking about it because they have. PlayStation is in that position where it can be inferior to Xbox every single day of the week, and it's PlayStation, so people are going to buy it. It's like iPhone iPhone can be way worse than Android every day of the week. It's never way worse. They're all phones are great, really. But, you know, Android does a lot of things iPhone doesn't. There are a lot of really interesting Android phones that can that are way ahead of the curve. They're fucking Android phones where you can bend the fucking glass and fold it like a clamshell and put it in your pocket. And iPhone doesn't do a lot of the shit that Android does. But Apple's built such a brand with iPhone and such a loyalty with that product that it doesn't fucking matter. People are going to stick with iPhone. And that's not to say iPhone doesn't do really great things and isn't the best at what it does in some cases, which it absolutely is. I think iPhone's great. But PlayStation is a kind of similar thing where they they built and earned their reputation for the most part through building great games and supporting um, great content for a long time. But PlayStation is in a bit of a position, I think, where some of the love and respect they get is just because they've been a top dog for so long and they were there before Xbox and people just kind of grew up with them and therefore are blindly in bed with PlayStation. And I get that to an extent, and that's a hard thing to compete with. It'd be like, you know, it's, it's it's like Google trying to say, we plan on one day the Google Pixel outselling the iPhone. It's never going to happen. Google Pixel's a great lineup of phones, really cool phones. It's never going to happen. I agree. Xbox is never going to outsell PlayStation. And I, and I agree with what Phil Spencer was saying about losing the most important generation, the generation where everyone got their digital ecosystems kind of set up and bought all their digital games and their live service games and all these things. I agree. Xbox is fucked because they lost that generation, no doubt. And I also agree that no matter what Xbox does with great games, they're not going to catch up to the sales of PlayStation. They're not going to beat it. That doesn't mean they shouldn't try. They shouldn't. That doesn't mean they shouldn't operate like that. They should always be operating in a way that's like, how can we entice people to buy our hardware and to play our games and to subscribe to Game Pass? And I think the answer is great games. So whether or not you think it's going to result in outselling PlayStation, which we don't think it will, right? I guess we all agree on that. Well, you think it's going to do that or it's just going to make the Xbox brand really strong and drive Game Pass subscriptions and make your fans really, really happy and satisfied? It doesn't matter. The point is, 
what you need to be doing is making great games. And I know Phil Spencer wasn't saying, we're going to make lower quality games and just shit them out the door because it doesn't matter. I know that's not what he's saying. But for him to kind of concede that, like, making the highest quality games isn't going to move the needle for Xbox is, I think, missing some of the point. You got to be firing on. I get that Xbox's, Xbox's plan these days, Microsoft's vision, is Game Pass. But you still got to you still got to play the game of putting out excellent first party quality, uh, high, super high quality first party content exclusive to your console that entices people to come over to your platform, whether it's the box, whether it's the s- s- subscription. Goddamn English is so, so hard. Whatever the case may be, that is super critical. And I feel like he kind of glossed over it or stepped over it, but maybe it was just poor wording. I don't know. RPG Crow writes in, first time commenter, I believe. Thank you, RPG Crow. Second time commenter. 21 minute mark. You said, I would love it if Xbox bought EA, Battlefield funded by Xbox, Titanfall 3, any new Star Wars game. If anything, I'd say Battlefield IP and the new Star Wars Fallen Order Survivor storyline. Those sh- should stay multi-plat. Do them with what they were going to want to do with COD, Dice, Respawn would be awesome addition. But... The way Xbox left Arcane to themselves, EA has a reputation of launching broken games at launch. Xbox need to work a lot closer with uh, Xbox would need to work a lot closer with EA. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I think Xbox has that problem regardless. Xbox has that problem with Bethesda and Arcane and all the Bethesda teams and Zenimax teams. Xbox will have that problem with Activision to a degree. Um, Xbox already has that problem internally with their own own studios, with the ones they acquired, like double fine and stuff i'm sure that will somewhat be an issue if they if they don't get a hold of it and then also with the ones that they incubated naturally like 343 and the coalition so xbox has had that problem for a long time and so yeah you're right ea sometimes has quality issues but i don't know man xbox has to resolve their shit and because it's going to be an issue with basically all their owned devs if they don't get a little more hands-on with having producers and and having more regimented kind of i don't know like schedules and timelines for game development. I just think they're handling it wrong. Thank you for writing in. Kronky wrote in again, says, as a whole, I would prefer Microsoft to buy EA over Activision. EA largely makes more interesting games since they make more than just Call of Duty and Overwatch and also Destiny ripoffs. Also, Game Pass would have driven would have saved a lot of EA flops like Titanfall or Anthem. Okay. Maybe so. But you say EA is more interesting. You say Call of Duty. I say Battlefield. You say Destiny ripoff, I say Anthem. You say Overwatch, I say Gross. I don't know, man. I like Activision. I know they get a lot of shit, but I, I like Activision's games. I can't lie. So, Mr. Maug, he's backing in. He says, man, I'm even more pissed off that Xbox went with a small proprietary SSD. While it's good that the price finally dropped, $280 is still ridiculous for two terabytes. Meaning, Meanwhile, for 100 bucks less, you can get a full-size NVMe drive that's guaranteed to work on PS5. And of course, much faster. Xbox did it dirty. I'm still relying on my old four terabyte hard drive for storage and games. Yeah, me too. I have a two terabyte external, and that's what I use. So it absolutely sucks. PlayStation definitely did the right thing here with the kind of plug and play nature rather than the proprietary nature. Although that card is pretty cool. That card is pretty cool. Mike Clark wrote in. What's up, Mike Clark? Thank you for writing in. It says sold my Series X and got a P- got GP for PC. <laughs> got oh Game Pass for PC. Just no reason to own it, lol. Still have my Xbox One X for massive back compat catalog and OG Xbox 360 games I own. Hey, fair enough, man. I think that's a solid reason. Again, Microsoft just wants you to subscribe to Game Pass ultimately, so that's that. I mean, that's all matters, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, I get it, man. I get it. They're not giving people much of a reason right now to s- s- keep the most powerful console in the world, especially when their first-party content 
isn't the most powerful looking game I've seen by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Jonathan Higil, Higil Kema, sorry, says, uh, yeah, no, no porn on Series X. Am I right? Wish I could afford a 4080 or a 4070. Damn, with those prices, though. I assume when you say no porn, right, is like nothing, nothing so visually stunning that's like, oh, yeah. And you're right, 100% Xbox lacks that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I can't argue or disagree with anyone who's in that position where it's like, why would I not get the PS5? The Xbox, I can just get these games on PC or people like, why would I not just get a PC? It can do so much more than an Xbox has all the same games and it's not that impressive. I agree. I agree completely, but that's kind of the beauty of the new Xbox mantra is it's like, it's not really necessarily about you have to have the box. It's just about, they want you in the ecosystem. So if you're playing game pass on PC, you still play an Xbox some, you know, in, in some way. Although I would argue that they really just need to make sure that they're optimizing and creating games that just absolutely shine like a fucking diamond on series X, which we haven't seen really yet, but hopefully we will see. But yeah, I mean, as for you, like if you have a powerful PC and you choose to play your games there instead of Series X, I don't see it as a problem or a bad thing for Microsoft. I just see it as one something they view as an alternative. Mike Clark, you also said Lost Planet was pretty good. It could use a few quality of life improvements. It'd be cool to see them do like a complete ground up remake of that, right? I feel like that'd be fun for modern consoles. They could even make like games as a service if they wanted to. And our final comment came from Sam Torres, who says, I like Spain. Fun place for vacation. The Cheetah Girls made it look fun. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go as well. But, guys, that's it for all of our comments. Thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. Please leave some five-star reviews. And if you're British, please do not get too butthurt about me constantly ragging on you guys. Please, I do love you. You guys do so many important things. Um, like the Inbetweeners, that was a fun TV show I watched once. So, you got Alton Towers going on. I'd love to go there one day. So, Good stuff. I'd like to eat some Indian food in in, in, in London one day, maybe. But that's going to do it for this week's podcast. You guys, all of you, take care. Be well. Play some video games. Have some fun. Eat some delicious food. Drink some Mountain Dew. There's always a new flavor to try. Until next week, sorry your dreams. 